Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast, episode 101. My name is Tom Baker, and it is great to be back with you again. Um, this show, as we mentioned, is episode 101, which means that uh, our What's in a Number segment that we'll have later on um, is going to concern the number 01. The 01 number at Oswego and in Supermodifieds is a wide and vast collection, isn't it? Uh, so uh, it's also what I would call a sneaky number. It's had quite an impact on Speedway history over the years in some very sneaky little ways. So we'll uh, talk about that later on. We're also going to have Camden Proud join us in a moment. We'll recap the twin 35s from last weekend at Oswego, which I thought were great races. And uh, of course, the New York State Super Stock race as well. Who couldn't be happy for Garrett Zacharias? What a win for that young man. I am truly happy for his family. They are one of the first families of New York State. I'm going to say stock car racing. I know that a modified is not technically a stock car things with roofs okay um and uh just so great to see garrett get that win he had been close last year didn't didn't get over the hump so good to see him go uh go get it um so we'll talk about that also we're going to do a little bit of a twist on the rewind idea we're teeing up some more 72 season rewinds for future shows but um, I stumbled through a conversation onto something I thought was a really cool idea. And you know that I love to kind of mix these shows up and, you know, not get too sort of repetitiously formulaic, if that's a phrase, um, to where you expect the same thing every week. So we got talking about the 1976 racing season. And I think it was... Um, I don't even know how we got started on the subject. I think it was we I think we were talking about great paint schemes and I brought up the Limblad 5 from those times. The the whole like flag and bicentennial kind of thing. Um <clears throat> and that led us to uh the Port City 150 and we just had a riot talking about how that race just simply didn't want to happen. And it took some twists and turns and um it in and of itself, in some ways, is a a real deep part of a Swigo Speedway history or would be a part of history to come. So there's a lot to unpack with that with that uh, that event. So I thought what we would do is, since I was sort of focusing on it in that conversation, and I was I was kind of motivated to talk about it in some bigger way. I thought, well, let's um, let's make a little mini series out of it. So we're gonna we're going to do a a, a couple, maybe three week, depending how long it takes. Um, look at <laughs> the Port City 150 event from '76, which was um, scheduled to be the opening day event, and uh, there were some interesting things that 
happened over the winter between 75 and 76 that that may make this look back even more interesting as far as you know the speedway goes and 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 the racing um and then we're going to get a little bonus here because in that program that we're going to be reviewing today which has jimmy champagne and satch warley on the cover in that program somebody i don't know who it was back then that did wrote this for the program but they did a brilliantly done um road to the championship from 1975 that was obviously around ronnie wallace his road to the championship and it went week by week we're going to go through that so we we get a little bonus rewind we're going to get a rewind inside of a rewind that's a twist on the rewind theme see because we're going to rewind to 75 and go week by week and talk about i had really honestly kind of forgotten how amazing that whole points championship battle was and got to be as the year went on um and just reading through it and reliving it was incredible honestly (laughs) so uh i hope you enjoy all that so we're gonna gonna have that today and um before we go to to break and and uh then come back with uh cam i i wanted to just make reference to something and i boy i thought a while before i did this because I've tried not to use the show as a rant because I really just want everybody to be excited about super modifieds. I don't, you know, I'm not really interested in um, using it as a platform to spew my opinions because nobody really cares. But I I did find it disappointing, honestly, and somewhat ironic at the same time that I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook. But when I got on the other day to, to look something up, um, I happened to, to see, and I don't even remember which group it is. One of the super modified groups, everybody's all up in arms about the car count in the super modified class. And I started reading some of the, the comments and whatever. And it's just like, y'all just, y'all do understand that you're just, you're saying a lot of you are saying the exact same things I said years ago and everybody had their head buried in the sand. <laughs> Nobody, everybody argued with me. Nobody wanted to listen. Um, we are where we are because we put ourselves there. That's, that's, this is not a, there, there is a whole other extenuating set of circumstances with the cost of fuel and, you know, all the costs of racing escalating. That only makes the point I'm going to make more prevalent, which is, um, you, you know, we i think we've crossed the the point of no return with the big block super modified class um you know let's enjoy what we have because i don't think you can make a change to the cars at this point and definitely not this year because any change you make costs a little money some changes cost more than others but any change you make costs money right that's what they say so you know, we all as fans, and we're all fans, and I think most of us at least go into those sort of debates and conversations with the right heart. But at the end of the day, it's the stakeholders that have to be motivated to make real change. And um, for years, when they had a chance to do it and sit down and come up with a, a long term business strategy for super modified racing, you know, 
and what it was going to look like and kind of unify everything so that we're all on the same page with the same car, the same rules. So no matter where you took your super modified, you could go play and be competitive and whatever. Um, we had a chance to do that years and years. You know, Clyde Booth built the first aero car in 1995. We're 27 years after that so you know as long as oswego was getting cars then the mentality was we don't care about the rest of the super modified world as long as oswego's fine that's what i kept hearing you know um and and everybody's egos were on tilt and nobody wanted to, to come together and now we're seeing the fruition of what i predicted years ago and it wasn't because i'm any kind of genius it was because i just was watching the amount of cars that were leaving versus the amount of cars that were the amount of drivers that were coming in oswego hasn't had i mean look at the the rookie class in the sbs or the 350 this year the uh, how far back would you have to go in years um with the super modified class to total nine rookies coming in like if if you went how many rookies this year how many rookies last year the year before the year before how how many years would you have to go back for you get to anywhere near nine okay and 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 the sps class i think i had six last year so we can we we can logically deduce that it isn't that people don't want to race at the oswego speedway because you have people coming from other divisions to race the small blocks, SBS, and or the 350s, right? We have new blood in both of those. And the SBS in the last two years, is it's either 15 or 16 rookies. I mean, it, so we don't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. But you do have to be a pretty darn smart engineer to figure out how to go fast at a super modified that you have built in the in the era of 2022. And you look at the, you know, it's a, it's a mass production car now. Yes, there are builders who have built their own cars and been successful. Jeff Abel had the background, but it took them, I think, two or three years to to really dial it in. Um, Chris Osetic has a wind tunnel. And each car he's built, I think it's three now, has been better than the last. Um, you know, obviously, Joey Hawksby's an engineer. Polly Coloca, basically, Joey basically took Clyde Booth's car and put his spin on it. Uh, Polly took Joey's car and put his spin on it. Okay, but this this is, we're no longer dealing with the Jimmy Champagne offset from 76. That's that. This is not the same. Anybody who who says to me that this is the same basic car it is just not. It's not true. It's a whole different design. It just looks kind of sort of similar. It's all about downforce. It's all about arrow, and it's not exclusive to super modifieds. Arrow and downforce have have fundamentally uh damaged in my opinion just about every form of racing there is um technology in that way did not help because the more you stick a car to a racetrack and especially if you then basically clone those cars and and most of the cars are very similar and running the same speed 
and they're stuck to the track like slot cars, you're not going to get good racing, especially when the whole thing is, you, you, you know, you wind up coming up behind the car in front of you in the dirty air. How many times we hear this dirty air and your car starts pushing. It starts handling like crap. Okay. This is what, this is where we are. Okay. Now, um, you know, back in the days when the super modifieds were getting the most new people and the most were the days when it was pretty much open competition. You could build anything you want. And the whole point was you had a lot of people who are interested in trying something different. There's not much room for that anymore. Okay. We've, we've made the box much, much smaller. There's not very much room unless you are really engineering focused. It's kind of like what F1 does every, every so often they change the car. NASCAR, in order to get their racing better, because the arrow and the downforce became so pathetically pathetic on, on their, their Gen 6 car, that they actually went to a spec sports car. It's basically a supercar adapted for NASCAR, and they call it a cup car. And honestly, it looks more stock and more like most of the cars we drive than the other car did. And the horsepower, although we all complain about why isn't there more horsepower, well, it's because look at your passenger car. And see, in that type of racing the manufacturers want to do r&d for their road motors so it was why you have what you have right um and that's why hybrid is coming it's you you're not going to stop it but that's a whole other conversation and, and i don't think we should stop it because honestly we'll be able to make a hybrid motor with a thousand horsepower so there you go <laughs> two you you may solve two birds with one stone with that now the difference is going to be that maybe not just any motor builder is going to be able to tinker with them like we have now. So it is going to change the industry if that's the case. And I don't know that it is. Um, but here's to go back to my point. We've, 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 we've hit the proverbial wall with the big block supers. Um, 15 cars to me is not, I'm not, I don't, I disregarded that the other night when I was watching because I was looking at the racing. And honestly, I saw more passing the other night than I think I saw in the Port City. Um, and, you know, it's a, sh it's a shame that we've had so many wrecks. Uh, I mean, we have years like that, you know, and then there's some years you don't have many at all. But, um, but you all have to stop and think about the fact that two of the greatest drivers to ever sit in a Super Modified are not racing this year. Doug Daydaro retired, and Otto Sitterly well, retired from Oswego. He's racing Isman now. Okay. So um, you have, all of a sudden we're at 15 cars and everybody goes, well, how did that happen? Well, you lost a car with Camden Proud because the car he had last year got sold to Mike Bruce, who's not racing it. Okay. So that car is not in the field and you lost Doug Didero. And then you lost Otto. Now we have Otto's car only because uh, the, the, the typical 39 car is not ready. So, so I understand anyway, I think. I think that's why. So, um, you know, you, you, Allison's racing Black Betty, but you're still a car down there. Okay. Now you, you look at, you know, wh why are some of the other, drivers not racing a swiggo that that seemingly could be 
I can't answer that, but I will tell you this. You now have a situation where any of them that want to are spending about twice as much. You know, I mean, it's that tires are way up, fuels way up. Now, if you're really local, maybe it's not quite twice as much because you don't, but it's still per gallon. It's, it's, you know, to travel, it's, it's at least twice as much diesels insane. Right. So I think we all have to understand that, that, yeah. Okay. At some point we may, we may see 18 to 20 cars on some weeks. Maybe we tip over 20 and 21, 22, whatever on a week. We need to celebrate those small wins and we need to focus on the racing. And, and, and my advice is instead of spending all your time, because again, as I said earlier, until the stakeholders decide that they are willing to do whatever it takes to regenerate the super modified division. And I don't even know what that would look like at this point. You say, well, okay, we go back to the shovel nose or shovel tails. I wanted to do that years ago. Nobody else did. And honestly, at this point, I don't know that that solves a cost problem because these cars are so specialized now. Everybody's got three or four fuel tanks and the things Um, your cages are tipped, you know, tilted. The engines are every which way in these cars, I think, you know, everybody's got their own little teeny weeny twists on the the tail wing. Um, You know, I don't know that that's the answer. The I because I believe in my heart that and, and I don't believe raising the purse is the answer because we did that two weeks ago got twenty three cars for six grand to win. Now if we get ten grand to win, when that comes up and we get you know twenty five thirty cars and people that aren't racing in the other races, then you can say well some of those people maybe it is just money, but where where were some of them for the money show, you know and I and I'm not I, so I I'm saying that purse may have something to do with it but i'm telling you it's the cost to enter the cost to get started the on-ramp cost in the super modified division people are looking at that going it is not worth it to me and they're getting an sbs or they're getting a 350 super or they're going to you know the dirt sportsman or whatever but they're it's 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 the cost of competition in the super modified division. And I don't at this point in, in this year, the last thing you want to do in 2022 with everything going on in the in the country and in the world, the with the economy the way it is, people struggling to pay their heat and light bill, you're not going this is not the time for wholesale change. It isn't. It isn't. Um it is a time, a good time to start thinking about it. If everybody wants to, you can have a meeting, discuss it. You certainly aren't going to make any rule changes it, it willy nilly at this point. Um, what do you do with the big block motors to make them cheaper? I don't know. I, I don't know. What do you do with tires to make it cheaper? Well, there's, there's one thing I can think of, but I don't know if I want to do it. I don't know. I do think it's worth a look. Um, but I mean, and that is to go to a more commonly sized set of tires that are more mass produced that can still be produced at less cost. The, the super modified tires is, are a specialty tire for the most part, and you're building X quantity of them. That's it. And, um, you know, they're going to cost more cause they're not mass produced. You're not, you're not building the quantity that you would, you know, like for the, the tires that say sprint cars use or whatever. So 
I don't know if that's even, I don't, but all I'm saying is, is that the, the most expensive parts of the super versus other cars are the tire and the motors. And I don't want to hear about the comparison to a big block modified or whatever. It does, that's, that's apples to oranges. I'm talking about the Oswego Speedway and three classes of cars. And there's an awful lot of interest in two out of the three and zero in the third one. And it's not because people don't want to. It's because it costs too much money. And I still think there's an element of that, too, to where some of them just don't feel like they know really what they're doing with these cars. Although, you know, some of the 350s are kind of like these cars, you know, in a different form. They're, they're you know, new style or all kind of, you know, cars. But um, the only thing I could see that, that, that might help the car count is some sort of combination class. But I just don't know how you even begin to do that at this point, folks. So I think instead of having this same debate about, because again, until the car owners and the track owners and the series owners decide that it, that, that it needs to be changed some way or that there's a desperation or a panic to, to fix them so that for the long-term rebirth and success, we're going to keep bleeding out little by little. Eventually... <laughs> At the rate he's going, maybe not for four or five more years, but, but eventually Joe Gozik's going to retire. There's two cars. Where are they going? Who's going to buy them? So, you know, there and there are others. I mean, you know, you're we've been very fortunate. Um, you know, and this is sort of a side thing, but we've been very fortunate at Oswego. You look at where the drivers work. A lot of them work at the nuke plants. Those plants have have made it possible for a lot of people to go racing on Saturday nights over the years. Okay? It's very difficult for the average Joe to afford a super modified car, let alone have to rebuild it after a wreck or whatever have you. And right now, it's harder to get, you know, parts, materials, whatever, because we have this thing called supply chain shortage, right? Um, you know, and then if you want the guys from New England and Ohio to travel my gosh, I can't even imagine. It's got to be 12, 1300 bucks for some of them in fuel. Just fuel. That's in the tow vehicle. That's not in the car. Okay. I, there's a point at which it just doesn't make sense to spend that kind of money to race. You know, for a lot of people, it, that puts a crimp in everything else in their life budget, right? So used to, it, it was a little easier and you could, you know, back in the days when you could build something yourself and take it out there and, you know, um, they're just, it, it, I think, like I said, I, I think we've, 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 we've crossed the line. So I don't think that's a reason to, you know, like I, I, I think we ought to spend our time posting about the racing that is and how good it is and good it was. Dave Danzer and Brandon Mellinger put on a great show last week. Tyler Thompson got a win. Um, you know, you got the Locke family coming uh, every week from New England, and they've had all sorts of issues with their cars. They still keep coming. W where's all the posts about that? You know, um, I think we need to be more positive is all I'm saying. It, there's a certain amount of reality I think we all have to accept that it isn't going to get very much better. You, like I said, you may have better weeks. Um, 
you know, I mean, but right now, anyway, with the with the cost of fuel and hotels and everything in the world, because, well, never mind, won't go there. Um, but it, but it's this nobody's fixing those costs. They're all the, the people that could fix the cost of everything are encouraging it. So this isn't that's not going to get any better anytime soon. So, in fact, it might get a whole lot worse, which is scary. So, it, what what we all need to do is be thankful for what we have, and really just cheer on the guys that are busting their butts to come out. And boy, that every group should have been full of conversation about how a tulip okay and let's let's keep hell spirit up and if you can help him in any way get the car back together please do it if you can go to the racetrack instead of watching on flow racing please do it the tracks need butts in the seats flow racing is not a substitute for somebody from 10 minutes away going to the track that doesn't you know you're not buying the track concession food. You're not doing anything. You got to support the speedway. If you're 10 hours away like I am, it's a little harder to get up there. <laughs> you know, for, for a good while, I was able to get up there three or four times a year. Can't do that now. My work and um, just the sheer cost of it, you know, drove up there a couple months ago. It was darn near 300 bucks for me. It's a lot of money. Okay. It's a lot of money. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's just not. We, we all have to stay positive here and ride this out together instead of you. And, and you're not going to cure this with a purse increase. You're just not, like I said, we tried that. Okay. And I'm not saying the series isn't a great series. It is. And I'm sure we'll have more cars the second and third times around, as long as, you know, the Oswego cars don't get piled up, but there were at least, you know, 10, 15, 20 cars in New England and Ohio that, that are sitting in garages that did not come. Now the cost of fuel is certainly significant. Okay, um, but nonetheless, you know, they weren't there. So, you know, uh, it, 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 I don't think just that is the answer, and we can't pay 6000 a week every week, not and have many shows. Um, I, I, just, I just don't believe that that's possible. So, you know, it's all I'm saying is I think everybody needs to just kind of cool it cool it for a while and let's see where what direction this goes and you know let's let's just focus on cheering on the racing and being happy that we still have a super modified class because i personally do not believe that that is a guarantee for long term i don't not in any you know reasonable facsimile of 20 plus cars a week at, or you know i mean i <laughs> It's just for right now with the cost of everything, I think we just need to kind of hunker down is all I'm saying. And this, this got way longer than I wanted it to. And I'm sorry. And I'm not trying to insult anyone or be derogatory. I am trying to give us a different perspective. I was happy with two 35 lap races the other night. And, you know, we should all be talking about a great season. Brandon Bellinger's having, we should be talking about, you know, um, Daniel Connors almost winning a race a couple of weeks ago, talking about Tyler winning one, how nice Tyler's new colors look. You know, why don't we talk about what's there instead of what's not there is my point. All right. Um, and uh, let's encourage and, and not, not um, you know, 
not just kind of carry on with the same stuff that um, can give somebody the wrong idea about super modified racing. It's still the best ever, even if there's 15 of them, but we just, and at this point we're long past a quick fix. There is none. There's no quick fix for this. And especially in this time with, you know, the situation we have that we can't control with pricing and shortage of things that's all beyond our control. So, you know, let's just focus on the racing and, and let's talk more about the other divisions too, shall we? I mean, why, why, you know, let's talk about the SBS and let's talk about the three fifties and the great racing they're having, you know, I mean, it's all super modified racing or it, it, it should be looked at that way. There's my, um, you know, dollar and 25 cents. So, um, we're going to take a break <laughs> when we come back. Camden Proud will be here and we will talk about the racing that was here on the groove right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, and they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Modified podcast as we roll on with this week's episode 101 101 already and uh camden proud has joined us via the hotline to uh talk about uh saturday night at the oswego speedway we had twin 35s for the supers and we had a uh, big race for the New York Superstocks, all of which I alluded to in the opening segment. First of all, Cam, glad to have you back on the program. Two good 35-lap races, two more new winners uh, on the year here. And um, I feel like we're kind of heading off into the unknown at this point because I think a lot of us thought that maybe this year would be Dave Schillick's big year um and uh, again he had a crash opening day that's probably set the back a little last week in the handling department or whatever but we're seeing some guys like brandon bellinger who have come out of the box strong here and you got tyler thompson winning you got dancer winning now um this is starting to look like this could be kind of down the stretch a bit of a um a, a season of unknowns for the uh for the Oswego super modified division. It sure seems that way so far. Yeah. It's, it's so far just been Dave Schulich's big season of bad luck three weeks in or, or two weeks in or whatever we are. Just was really fast again, Saturday winning his heat, but lost the, the new tailwind on the car. It collapsed. And then in the first feature had a mechanical problem. And the second one was caught up in, in an accident on, on lap one. So 
he hasn't had much luck. He's had the speed, but guys like you mentioned, Bellinger come out of the gate really fast and, and has has a comfortable points lead now, a couple podium finishes, has been in the top five in every race, and and now Tyler got wrecked out on on opening night, but a win in the first thirty five lapper, and I think twelfth to third in or yeah, twelfth to third in the second thirty five lapper. So uh guys guys showing they have a lot of speed early on. Yeah, I mean it's just uh, again some different names that we're seeing, and um, and I I think that that's nothing but good, obviously. And you've got, like you said, Schilling's had a lot of bad luck. Um, you know, Jeff Abold had some issues opening day. We, Ryan Locke just, I mean, my goodness, somebody has got to find the voodoo doll um, for that kid and uh, you know burn it. Uh, because uh, I feel so bad for them coming so far and then having the mechanicals and such. But I know when he gets going, um, you know, he's going to have some good runs. I mean, you've you've got you've definitely got a, a it, it, it may be a smaller field of cars that we've started with. But but certainly it, it can be a competitive field of cars. And I think that the biggest thing is just trying to keep um, everybody clean and green for a little while here. Um, I felt so bad for how. Um, you know, having that issue in the second feature and getting into the foam because that's the last thing that uh, gentleman needed is is to uh, come out of the box and and right away have to fix a broken race car. I know. I felt terrible for Hal. I looked up on the board when I heard yellow going down the front stretch and I saw the fifty six in the foam and I was like, oh man, yeah, that's like the last guy you want. You don't want to see anybody in the foam, but that's like the last guy you want to see in the foam, the ultimate low buck racer and doing it for the love of it and was had a lot of questions on if he was even going to race this year and was out in Indy opening week and, and got everything ready to go and his plan to run a full season. And I'm hoping he still will, but that, that car has been pretty heavily damaged now. So I guess we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. I mean, and you always worry about just, you know, availability of parts and whatever too. So um, kind of slowing people down, but uh, when they have to rebuild like that, but um, you know, again, uh, thank God he was okay. That was a, you know, a pretty uh, good hit and um, yeah, it's a good run for Tyler Thompson to win the first one. Basically once he got out front, um, I don't want to say he ran away and hid because he really didn't, but he wasn't seriously challenged. I didn't feel like, um, you know, he pretty much had it to himself and uh, ended up getting a win. Um, you know, again, uh, good to see Tyler back in victory lane. Weren't sure what his status was going to be till the last minute. Then they committed and, um, you know, new uh, new colors on that car for uh, this year, a little bit of a different look. And he really did, uh, I thought, a nice job in that first race. Yeah, the new colors look good, seem to run really well, too. And another podium for, for Joe Gozik, finishing in second. Yeah. He's he's ran well out of the gate this year. Had a had a third on opening night before a motor issue. Unfortunately, lost a motor in the first Wayne show. So I, I believe that was a spare motor that was in the car. But a nice second-place finish in the first twin and then had to start at the back, I think, through 12th in the redraw and got caught up in that first lap mess which i don't know what was going on with that but everybody in in my row on the on the inside was slamming on the brakes and it was like one of those mind games where you're brake checking and it it just looked like guys in the back ended up running over each other as a result of it so unfortunately between the double zero and the 56 and the 83 had three cars torn up but um really overall he had ray vals and, and snyder get together and in the second twin there and, and unfortunate for those guys, but 
fortunately not the usual carnage that we've seen in the twin 35s in, in recent years. So uh, I was at least happy to make it through both of them. Yeah, really. And that's a big thing. I mean, it's just, you know, you shouldn't be worried about surviving a 35 lap feature. You should be worrying about surviving a 200 lap feature. But, um, right. you know, it's been that, like you said, you know, it seems like everybody gets antsy and starts, you know, driving over their head in the um, in in the the smaller distance races. But, um, you know, the, I again, I thought, you know, I, I don't know. I, I looked at what happened with Hal there, and, and I was wondering, you kind of gave a little more insight there because I'm like, how in the world did that happen? It was the very back of the field. Um, and so you think, well, somebody either, you know, got on the brakes or, or got, you know, a little bit sideways when they hit the gas, buzzed, you know, spun the tire, whatever. But it, it was like something had to happen further up front to cause all that. Um, and it just sort of went to the back and that was, um, that was a shame. Um, right. give us the, uh, the rundown for the first, uh, twin 35 lap feature. Yeah. First was the 98 Tyler Thompson. Second, the double zero Joe Gozik. Third, the 05 Jeff Abled. Fourth, the 01 Dan Connors. Fifth, the 02 Brandon Bellinger. Sixth, the 52 Dave Danzer. Seventh, the 22 Mike Bruce. Eighth, the 94 Logan Rivals. Ninth, the 90, Jack Patrick. Tenth was me. Eleventh, the zero, Tim Snyder. Twelfth, the 95, Dave Schulich. Thirteenth, the 37, Ryan Locke. Fourteenth, the 83, Lulavey Jr. And fifteenth, the 56, Halla Tulip. Okay, and so we got into the second feature. And again, wondering who was going to be the the car that was going to come out on top. And, you know, we had uh, action right away at, at, at the start uh, of the, the second 35. Yeah, th- that was just it was just really too bad <laughs> the way the race started. And, and it took some time to to get past lap one. But but once we did, uh, the racing was actually pretty darn good Saturday night. I, I didn't think it was too bad. And some nice battles up at, up at the front in the for top sure. five for, for positions on the podium and, and send some passes for the lead. And um, that's, you know, that's really all you can ask for. Uh, there's, there's 15 cars that started, but literally there, there is not a bad car there. I, I think the only one that knows he's going and not competing to win is, is Hal. And Hal's been doing that for, for, for decades now. But literally any of those cars in that field can, can win on the right night. So it is, it is tough. And, I, I we talked about it last week. I don't think you're going to see a Dave Schulich runaway at all, even though he is really fast and has just had bad luck. I think it's going to kind of be a, a lot like 2019, where it's just kind of the land of the unknown every Saturday night. Who knows who's going to win and and have speed on on any given week? There's so many different variables playing into that right now, and it's it's going to be an exciting season, I think. Yeah, and I I'm I'm curious. Maybe you can. Uh, answer the question from a driving standpoint um, as a racer, but it, I wonder too, what effect the changes in the track surface are playing into all of this for everybody, whether or not it makes enough of a difference that it's kind of um, just played games enough with what everyone thought was the right setup to make everybody have to try to now tweak and find that. Um, Cause I feel like some guys like, again, I come back to Brandon Mellinger. He's, he's been fast, um, you know, both weeks and, and been up front and, and, and was again in this second race until uh, Dave got him late race there on the restart. But um, you know, I, I, I wonder how much has it really changed anything as far as from a driving point of view? I think mentally was the biggest 
adjustment for me. And, you know, opening night, it was a little dusty as it usually is. And I was, I was getting really concerned when I saw how torn up the track was after super dirt week. And then they put these patches down and I was still skeptical and thinking, boy, how is this going to go? Is the surface going to be really rough? And, and honestly, the biggest change for me as a driver has been visually like going down the back straightaway and you see this huge blotch of blacktop going into turn yeah. three and, um, physically in the car, I don't feel anything in turn one. I don't feel anything down the back stretch, but okay. coming off the bump in, in three and four, there's just a little jolt and I feel like it upsets the chassis a little bit. Um, but nothing, nothing really too bad that that's not great over there. They've talked about trying to smooth it out a little bit more, but if anything, to be honest with you, I think it's made the track faster. And some of these areas of new pavement, especially in turn one, have actually put more grip in the track. Well, and that's, you would figure, right? Because that's why right. everybody said for years, you know, you hear all this talk about, well, they should repave the track. And, and then, you know, there's a big group of us going, well, um, you do realize that every action has a consequence, right? And sure. uh, the consequence yeah. would be that, you know, much like, happened with thompson you're, you'd see speeds just soar even more yeah. and you know there is that point of you know okay that we we just now we're going too fast and it's not even you know necessarily about a racing thing as much as it is you start thinking about safety do we really need to be going you know um, 14 seconds you know right. with you know because that's kind of where i mean with the top wing we've already been there and you know mm -hmm. what would what would happen right so um you know it it might improve the racing by adding a a, a a new second groove um but on the other hand if you're going a second faster i'm not sure that that doesn't negate it so it's it is interesting and i i you know i just wondered from a driving perspective what the change was but anyways dave dan's are getting um getting a, a feature win good to see dave back in victory lane and uh like I said, uh, I don't care how many cars there were on the racetrack. That was an interesting race to watch down the stretch because Dave hounded Brandon for a good while before he finally uh, ended up passing him. Yeah, Randy Ritzkis called it perfect on the last restart there with a few laps to go. He was he was saying how if Brandon pushes up in one and two, Dave's going to get him, and that ended up being exactly what happened. Yep. And, um, a really nice reward for the Danzer team after – a hard crash, Gosh, made yes. it an engine just a couple weeks earlier, tried to make it back for the wing show and couldn't, and then rewarded with, with a victory. And, and they were, they were really fast right out of the gate too. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I really don't, I, I couldn't predict what's going to happen on any given week. No, because you, you know, that Schillick's going to get there and, you know, I would think Jeff Abold's going to get there. And, yeah. you know, you've got guys, you know, Michael Barnes, you've got guys that, that, that are, you, you know, are fast. They just, again, it's been bad luck. Um, but you know, and even with yourself, once you get the handle on the race car and get it to do what you need it to do, you showed the speed last week in practice. There's a number of cars that, you know, are fast enough. Gozik has shown some speed, um, you know, it's it's really almost it goes back to who's starting in the front this week because it you know any one of those guys right you get out front um, and it, and especially if you have fewer no cautions uh, it's just gonna be hard to catch them so I think right. you know I think that's what 
that's kind of where we are. And, 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 you know, would you like to have five or 10 or 20 or 50 more cars? Well, yeah, sure. Um, I think we all agree. We'd love to have bigger fields, but you know, we've certainly got some great competition right now, despite the smaller field. Um, and I think we, we saw that again in the, uh, the 35s the other night, give us the uh, rundown. If you would please sir, for feature race number two. Yes, first was 52 Dave Danzer, second the 02 Brandon Bellinger, third the 98 Tyler Thompson, fourth the 22 Mike Bruce, who says he wasn't going to race the Super too much this year, but I just wanted to throw in a quick note. I think after how well he ran last weekend, he's probably going to want to try to run that car a little more, judging judging by what I read on his Facebook post. He was 16 flat in, in practice and, and really strong, uh, ran third most of that race before Tyler came up through and, and got him and uh, still hung on for a top five. So hopefully Mike will be out a little more. And um, once I finish this rundown, there's a couple more tidbits for guys who might be coming out for July 2nd and good and Mr. Super. But yeah, anyway, fifth was the 05 Jeff Abel, sixth, the 90 Jack Patrick, seventh, the 01 Dan Connors, eighth was myself, ninth, the 94 Logan Ray Bales, 10th, the 95 Dave Schulich, 11th, the zero Tim Snyder, and, well, yeah, that was it on the official rundown because Hale and, and Lou Jr. and Gozik there got wrecked out on the on the initial start. So uh, that's that's that. Well, um, I will I will add this to the to your comments about Mike Bruce. Um, Mike Bruce went into the year not focusing so hard on the big block. OK, that's we have it. It's sitting over there. We might run it a few times, but we're focusing on the 350. So he brings the big block out, probably didn't necessarily hang the, you know, his, his enjoyment of the night on whether he did, you know, good or maybe not so good because they don't, didn't necessarily plan to make that his full, um, you know, full attention car this year. Anyway, goes out and runs top five. So sometimes when your expectations when you just go out and say, look, I'm going out, going to get in the car, going to go racing this week. Right. Um, and you don't necessarily put all this pressure on, you know, want to go win a race or go for it. Um, you, you, you end up running better. And, and I think, I think Mike may have, may have re-energized himself in terms of his enjoyment of the big block with that run. And I hope you're right. And I did see that post. Hope you're right. And I hope we see him more, um, more out in it because uh, that is that is a car that can win races. We obviously know that. Um, yes. And you know, and especially the way this year is, um, you know, I think uh, I think Mike and and shoot, you know, great addition to the field. Um, so you know, happy to see that. Now you you mentioned some tidbits here. Um, you're you're good at teasing us. So now <laughs> give us the details. <laughs> so the first, I guess, the biggest news is that. Jeff West's team and his, his sons, I guess, who were kind of taken over. They have a new midget team and, and also are, are very heavily involved with what's going on with the super modified. Jeff only has the one car now that yes. the other hot car was unfortunately destroyed last year. I think at Kalamazoo maybe by, by Greg Furlon and, and he had Greg and, and Bobby driving for him last season. And they have announced that this year, Bobby's going to run Mr. Super modified and the classic at Oswego in that car, in the new hot car, at least those two races. So Bobby's first race at Oswego will be coming up at the end of next month. Yeah, that I mentioned that uh, in in the opening segment. And, and I think the whole, I think it's so cool 
what's going on uh, with the West camp right now, because um, as you say, it seems like his kids are basically following in his footsteps a bit. And we have what's called three stooges racing. Okay. Which, you know, if you know Jeff West, then it fits right. Um, And (laughs) And so they've got this midget team and they 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 won the night before the 500. Like they come out of the box and uh, uh, hello, hello world. Here we are. And oh, by the way, we just kicked your ass. Um, and, you know, we haven't been around for 20 minutes. And then, you know, you go out and, um, you know, you get the super ready. And so this, I think this is sort of a, I hope anyway, that this might be a little bit of a rejuvenation of of that whole racing sort of effort there and and we'll start seeing more uh from that and i i think that's awesome i think it's cool and and santos is one of the best to ever sit in a race car in my opinion i think yeah he can just drive anything so you know if that car is uh if that car is up to snuff and they can get it dialed in quick enough that's a contender to win out of the box so that's that's great to to see that they're coming back and um I think I uh, in in all fairness to Greg Furlong we should clarify um when you say that, that it was destroyed by Greg Furlong there was a st- yes. throttle involved there Greg did not just you know overcook it into a corner and pile it in the fence we we all Yeah uh, that was a bad choice of words on <laughs> yeah, my part. Yeah I'm just trying yeah. to save your butt Cam you know that's what I'm here for um so yeah that <laughs> Greg was in the car when it got destroyed <laughs> Yeah Greg was around. Greg happened to be the poor sap driving it and yeah. and I just it, uh I know I mean any of us who saw that live happen um it started praying because that was just one of those hits that you you started yeah it was awful and so um you know that was a a bad day for everybody involved and and i hate that because i feel like if greg never gets a chance to race again um you know you you just hate seeing a driver like that being the last time right so i know uh, i somehow hope so down you know at some point greg gets back in the car and goes out and even if he finishes eighth you know it's like there okay i I fixed that so now i can you know exactly um, yeah 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 he says he has no plans this year but that was uh that was just a shame to he was running so well too running running for the win really yeah see it on that way was a terrible terrible shame so nothing he could do about it that's for sure no He, he showed he still got it I think if I remember, now that I think back, I think I was actually, I think Westy was the one, I think it was his feed that we were all looking at, and you see the crash, and then, like, the feed goes away real quick, and, you know, you see people running, um, and, uh, yeah, that was that was nasty. So, uh, glad they're coming back. What else have you got? I saw, what, what, do we do we think there's going to be a Todd Stoll sighting in a race anytime soon? What else have we got here? <laughs> I don't know. They They came out to Fast Friday last week with, the wing on, yeah, which I, I guess they were trying to make the wing show and had something wrong with the new wing design. I, I don't know something where the, the, the pressure in the wing wasn't, uh, wasn't working right is, is what I heard. Um, and couldn't make it out for that. So decided, okay, they have the wing set up in it and the wing on, and we're going to come out and, and practice with the wing, I guess, rather than switch it all back over to a swiggo for the 35s, which I guess I kind of get. So they got their, they're practicing with the wing on. Sure. I asked Todd, I said, so, okay, so you ran with the wing. When's your, your first race going to be? Is it going to be here, somewhere else, the Swiggo, Wayne, Isma Wayne? And he just says, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, keep me posted. 
Their only plan is they ain't got no plan, it sounds like. Uh, right. They'll wake up one morning and go, hey, let's go racing. Um, okay. I what, hope so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, what else we got? Uh, Jerry Kern told me he'll be out for the 75 lap or the sweet the Independence weekend. So there's another car there. I know Allison is going to be back in Black Betty that weekend. Joey oh, Payne okay. is shooting for that weekend. And there's a, f- a few guys that I know said they were going to come three to four times. Michael Muldoon, Dave McKnight was eyeing the 75 lappers. Mark Samet, same deal there. And also Mike McVetta. So we'll see with the wing race being the following weekend what some of those guys' plans are. But we should have a little bit better of a field for 4th of July weekend. Well, again, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, the 4th of July weekend's a long weekend, I think, uh, for some anyway. Um, and so you get, you know, either Friday or Monday off for the holiday, I, I would guess. Um, so that's an easier day for some to travel. So maybe the McVettas um, of the world make sense there. And um, yeah, some of those names, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it would be interesting to see them come out. Muldoon, we, we certainly keep waiting for him. He's got at least two cars that we know of, right? Yeah. And so um, I wonder, though, when you talk about the wing show being the, the following weekend, um, it almost would, would seem like two different things at this point, right? I mean, it's not like maybe in the old days you would um, come in and you'd camp here for the week or whatever. And, and uh, you know, you'd come in and dial in and you know, okay, I throw the top wing on the same car. And, but it's such a different beast, I feel like, with the way the cars are with the top wing versus the tail wing that um you know you 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 you, it would be nice to see guys come in and run both shows but you kind of wonder if that's what some of them would plan to do at this point especially if you've not started the season with the tail wing um you know i don't know i just i i don't know that it's such a a big i think having the top wing shows at oswego is great because you get cars here that probably wouldn't run with the tail wing and I'm not, I, but I, but I really wish that it could work sort of in reverse. And, and again, years ago, you'd run the same car with just throw a wing on it and go right. racing. Right. Like, I just feel like it's a different thing now. It really is. Yeah. I mean, you see, you see guys like, for example, Jason Simmons team and, and Eric, I going out and buying cars just strictly for wing racing, auto sitterly. Yeah. Um, it's, that makes it difficult. And honestly, we're, we're one of the teams. I almost feel, I almost feel like a coward in a way that I have a, a great car sitting two blocks from the track and we didn't go to the wing show, but you know, we struggled opening night. That was my first time in the car. And we came home Sunday and called Doug Didero and we're talking and I looked at my dad and said, well, I guess it's time to get ready for the wing show. And then we just kind of looked at each other and started laughing and said, wait a minute, what, what are we doing? We got to, focus on one thing at a time and, and get the Oswego setup figured out first, because that's the, the main priority. So I think a lot of those guys are in the same boat. And then you talk about folks like McVetta or the Lasecki team or McKnight and Samet who have interest in Oswego, have an Oswego tail wing, but come from far away. Yeah. And we have these wonderful gas prices. Oh gosh. It's awful. Say, eh, eh, I don't yeah. think I'm going to tow two weeks in a row. Well, that's what I, you know, I talked about that in the opening segment too. It's like, you, you think about the cost of, of those guys, like, you know, people say, well, you know, we have guys, 
with cars sitting in garages didn't run. Well, you know, who who are you talking about? And a lot of those guys had, you know, had issues, whether it was motor or it was something else opening day and, and you don't all you're not always able to get it back and you're and you look at the extemporaneous things that are going on around costs of fuel and, you know, tires and, you know, and all of that. Um, there, there's a, there, are, there's a lot of, of, there are a lot of obstacles right now. And it's not just Oswego and supers. It's all over the sport. Um, at the short track level, we see a lot of the same stuff going on down here in certain divisions. And, you know, people, um, they set aside X amount a year for their racing budget, well, when gas gas prices double, you know, you use that amount up faster. So, yeah. I mean, there, not everybody has the blessing that, you know, the Locke family has, for example, of being able to, you know, to commit to towing six hours one way or whatever it is to to go, you know, race at us. We go in. So, you know, I yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's it's just I feel like. I almost feel like when we when we evaluate things and we kind of make judgments about things this year, we need to do so a little more gingerly because there there are circumstances beyond all racers control here that are, you know, playing into decisions that racers have to make. And it's not a question of desire. Sometimes it's a question of either availability of parts or just like I said, just budget. You know, it's 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 not as um, inexpensive. Well, that's the wrong word. It's even more expensive to race this year than it, you know, it was um, a year ago and two years ago or whatever and three years ago. And so it, it just gets harder and harder to make those choices. And anytime a Mike McVetta or, you know, whoever it is, toes all that way, we should be really, really appreciating them and, and letting them know that that we appreciate them, because that's. Um, they're, they're losing a lot of money when they do that. And, and so it's, um, it's a big deal, like you said this year. Um, so we can only hope each week that we, you know, we get some of those guys back, but, you know, as you say, there are a number of them and, uh, you know, there's, there's a half dozen, I think you rattled off or close to it that, yeah. you know, we, we, we may see them all on one night or we may see two, and one night and two different ones that, you know, whatever, but, um, hopefully we'll see enough of them with the tail wing at different times of the year to, to, to keep, uh, keep things rolling along. And, and, you know, the main thing is I hope we get everybody, um, it, you know, for the classic, uh, to, to, you know, to come in and, and, you know, you like to see a, a, a big field for that. So we can keep everybody out of the foam, um, <laughs> for the next month or two, we, we, uh, we we and keep the motors intact we might be in pretty good shape i hope so yeah and and i know that the track owners and and everybody involved with this wing deal are counting on support from some of the wing guys for for classic weekend and hopefully mr super and, and some of the bigger races you know in, in return for for offering up these wing shows but it's you know hey i i get it you know i know neither you or me are on here to pretend that that everything's great and and everybody has right. their their valid concerns and, and worries and I get a lot of the points, but the the biggest problem I see sometimes is Joe Schmo one two three four with no profile picture and one follower on Twitter yeah. calling out all these different drivers, you know, pulling up a roster of every super modified driver that's ever competed in the last three years. Yeah. I, somebody actually did that and started tweeting to the Speedway last week. Where's really? where's this car and that car? And it's like, what what are we doing here? I mean, I, I get it, but let's 
let's recognize the guys like like Mike McVetta and exactly and the, the locks. That's and, what and, I you said. Know, whether, no, no matter what position you're in, how about appreciating the teams that are there and are able to do it rather than bashing the ones that for whatever reason are not. It's just right. really it's we all get it, but a lot of it's just the nature of the beast right now. Yeah, it's it, I mean, what you know, as I said, the the economy sucks and and it and yeah. it's it's a uh, you know, we we're we're in a situation where um you know, the ones in charge of the big decisions that affect costs and things like that are surely not motorsports friendly. They're not car friendly. They're not gas powered engine friendly. They're not none of that. And so we're, you know, we, we, we really have to focus on the fact that we're, we're lucky to still have the racing that we have going on, especially at the short track level. Cause you know, the big series are going to, they're, they're, you know, there's a lot of revenue there, TV revenue, whatever those series are going to be okay. Somehow one way or another, um, you know, it's the, it's the short track series that, that suffer in this situation. And um, it's not even about politics. It's just, here's, you know, b- believe what you see, um, sure. you know, yeah. gas is going up a dime a week. I mean, you, you know, that's, and, and so when you, you know, it's one thing for, you know, people with 10 gallon tanks in their cars, it, 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 probably is a little little slightly little less impactive when you've got a you know a, a rig that you're pulling a race car with and you're driving six hours one way um that's a big expensive fuel bill there and so you know it it affects everything it affects you know shipping it affects you know costs of goods everything so we just have to all take a, a, a step back and you know whoever that person was um, I've always said, if you can't put a profile picture in your, in your profile, then, you know, you're, you're not a legitimate profile, but, um, you know, whoever that person was, it's like, you know, I would like to know what, what their background is and what their situation is. And, you know, um, are they willing to step up and write a check to get some of these cars to the track? Cause I'm sure, you know, um, any of these guys, if you, if you like to, to help them with their fuel bill or their tire bill, we'll, we'll really appreciate it. Uh, and you know, probably even show you how to put a picture on your profile. Um, so, right. you know, um, yep. you know, so that's kind of where we are. And that's why I said, despite that you look and you say, you know what, there's been some pretty good racing for the win here in the first couple of weeks. So, um, it's all you can ask for, but, uh, <clears throat> excuse me all right any more tidbits that we missed that's about it on the super modified front anyway okay um so uh let's talk about the street stocks real quick um again i i had i you always hope for a few more of those but we did have a good field and man garrett zacharias i've been waiting for him to have that breakout moment saturday night was it yeah he's such a cool kid and has been through a lot the last year or so. And his, his dad's been in the hospital really sick. And um, obviously that, that family has deep racing history in, in this area. There's, there's a lot of Zacharias's that have yes. raced and, and had success. And, and Garrett's just, he's such a passionate kid and uh, does a great job with, with everything he's doing on his social media and, and for his sponsors, beautiful looking race car. They came up Friday and, and tested and he came over to me last year and I, I thought it was really cool. Here's, here's a kid that's, you know, a good racer in his own right and and doing a great job in in the super stock class. And he comes up to me and asks me for an autograph card. Really? And and can you sign this for me? And I said, yeah, absolutely. But I I said, Hey, you know, you did, you did a great job out there tonight. You know, this, 
this is, you know, <laughs> there's not much separation between what you're doing and what I'm doing. He's out there winning all kinds of races. And yeah. I, I, I just thought that was, that was really cool that it's, it's a young kid. And, and it wasn't just me. He's, he went all over the super modified pits and can I have your autograph? And then this person's autograph. And I said, wow, that's, that's, that's pretty neat that he's still into it that way. And it, it, you know, here's a successful racer, not really all that much younger than me and, and still looking up to, to us super modified guys. So uh, I can tell he has a big passion and especially for a swiggle speedway and to see him in victory lane was a pretty cool moment. Well, yeah, and and the interview that he did afterward, you know, was was um, you know, you could tell like that he he just won Indy or Daytona yeah. or like that was the goal. There there it was. We just holy cow! I just won Oswego, right? Um, you know, my dad couldn't get it done, which I kind of laughed. I'm like, that'll make his dad feel better. Um, but I got it done. Um, you know, and, and, uh, I know how he meant it. It was just funny. Um, but just the enthusiasm that he had for winning that race, um, you know, made it, made it cool to watch. And when you see someone young like that, who has that kind of, as you say, still, um, you know, kind of worship for the sport, uh, you know, you, you want to, you want to feed that spark because that we, we, we need all of the, the Garrett's we can get. Right. So, um, you know, that was, uh, that was a, a great, a great win for him. Um, absolutely no, uh, challenger the entire race. He just got no. up front and took off. Um, you know, and again, you say, you know, gosh, wouldn't it be great to take all the heat winners and start them in the back, but you know, it's just hard to sometimes to, but it it would have been fun to see him come through the field and see if he could have uh, still could have won. So you know, but it was a it was a great race, and the and the cars that were there put on a good show. Um, you know, and I I look forward to the next one into the uh, obviously the 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 DLM Dave London Memorial will um, will have uh, its curator uh, on a show here shortly uh, and and start talking about his stuff. Jody's always fun to have on um, and works his ass off as a promoter. So, um, you know, it's, uh, that was a good race I thought, and it was good. I love seeing the different divisions at the track like that. I, I think it, it gives a nice change for the fans. Um, and they, again, there wasn't an awful lot of, of wrecks or, or whatever. They put on a really good show and raced hard. Yeah, they did. I, I thought it was great. We'll, we'll take a full field. I think it was a full field, 24 yeah, cars. It was and, 25. I think they had actually. Yeah. 25. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of different divisions, Jody's been, really working hard on this extra money race yes. sport mod event sport coming mod. up July 2nd. And that's going to be a jam packed tonight. And I don't know if you got to follow the GTR promotions page on, on Facebook. If, yes. if you don't already, yes. there's, there's a lot of, a lot of entries pouring in for, for the modified race and, and some big names, Mike Leedy's registered, Daryl Lewis, Kevin Timmerman. So there's, there's going to be a lot of talent out for that race and it's, it's going to be a huge night of racing. That's like a mini classic weekend that weekend between the, the three Oswego divisions plus the modified. So I can't wait for that. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. And, and again, an example, um, everybody says, well, these aren't NASCAR tour type modifieds. Um, guess what? They're better. Um, in my opinion right now, the, you, you look at, and I know even these two are slightly different variations on the theme, but you look at the sport mods in, in New York, you know, Pennsylvania, whatever. And then you've got, um, you know, the, the up in new England, um, 
they're 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 similar but yet different right you when you go yeah. to the you know um and and it's it's kind of one of those um situations where those that that's that's a headline class at this point now they it's built to the point it's more economical and it's it, you know it looks they look basically the same um so again you know it's always somebody's always finding the negative in it but i think it's i i said when they started it it was a good idea um you know again sometimes we just let these classes get out of hand from a cost standpoint and they just it it you know, so that's why you have things like SBS cars. You have the 350 supers. You know, not everybody can afford to go racing with a big block and race to win. But you got this sport mod class that, that has grown over the years into a fantastic division um, with a lot of talent and a lot of competition. And uh, I love that they're coming back. That's why I said I love the variety in the schedule. Um, you know, you, you Oswego is always and always will be a super modified track um in some form or, or fashion but you have to be willing to to bring in other divisions too anymore and um it seems like that's exactly uh you know the last couple of years we've seen that and man jody is doing a great job promoting these shows and that's what's creating an interest is you have the right guy at the top pushing them and and convincing people to come and getting the sponsors and such he just does a great job yeah jody's awesome he's been fantastic to work with and we're we're lucky to have him at Oswego. Honestly, I'm I'm just glad out of there, there's Oswego is a pretty impressive facility, but there's a lot of other great tracks around here too. And and the fact that it's all come together at, at the Steel Palace to to have the, you know the super stocks and now the sport compacts. We had a ton of those and this modified race that's yeah. finally I hope going to go off without a hitch for oh gosh oh geez it's been two, two years. years of trying yeah. so and and there is a rain date Sunday. I hate oh to good the R word, but we're we're going to get it in. No matter what, we're going to get that race in. So it's it's been a long time coming, and we're we're really lucky to ha- to have you know the GTR promotions gain a part of everything that we're doing at Oswego. Well, you know, sometimes see people hate mentioning it, but I feel like sometimes when you do that, you sort of like bully it into not happening. So you know, I if you have a rain date, then you won't need it. So uh, probably right. be you know probably 90 degrees and sunny uh on july 2nd and we won't need the rain date after all but um definitely should be a great show looking forward to all of it oswegospeedway.com and uh on all the socials and uh what's coming up um at, at oswego over the next couple of weeks uh, this weekend's a little different for the first time they're doing 350 twin 25s and sbs twin 20s so there's no big blocks but it's four features and definitely going to be action packed with, with, I just got the, the handicapping procedures for this weekend sent to my email. So we'll put those out for the are, fans to read. There's going to be a redraw again for, for both divisions. So I'm, I'm excited to observe from the tower or, or maybe the pits, depending on what my dad decides to do with, sure. with the small block. And, and uh, racing is going to start at six o'clock again this weekend. Grandstands open at four, hot laps start at four and, yeah, it's only 20 bucks to get in, four features, kids 16 and under free with a paid adult. So really nice weekend. The weather looks great. And come out to the races. We have Fast Friday open and free from 4 to 8 Friday evening. And that's, I think, a full lineup. I think we have a dozen people signed up for that right now, too. Nice. So it'll be a, it'll be different. I'll miss, miss racing this weekend, but fun little weekend nonetheless. Well, I mean, the big blocks need a week off. Let's just be honest here. Um, yeah, get, let everybody get 
get themselves back to to racing shape here. Um, And I hope everybody goes and supports this show because, again, you know, we need it's great to have flow racing. It works great for me being down here because obviously it's not practical to travel, especially in this environment for somebody to go from down here up there. Um, So for those far away, flow racing is great. Let's us keep track of what's going on. If you're in us, we go, don't watch it on flow. Go to the doggone racetrack because they need (laughs) they need the fans in the seats. I mean, come on. Um, And, uh, you know, the concessions need the sales and stuff. So go in and if you can um, go and watch the races. Uh, if not, there is flow racing and um, the, you know, the action's uh, great on there to watch as well. Camden, thank you so much. Appreciate it and look forward to touching base again next week. We'll have a lot of um, second and third division stuff to talk about. And uh, I'm sure plenty of excitement between the two divisions. So I can't wait for that show. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks, Tom. All right, that's Camden Proud back with more of the Groove after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services End-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove sent you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Let's now take ourselves back. To the year 1976. And the third annual Port City 150. So when that race was scheduled to be run, there was a program put out. It had Jimmy Champagne and Satch Worley on the cover. For those of you who don't know who Satch Worley is, Satch was the driver who won the 1975 modified edition of the Port City. This was, again, for, for some of you who may not know the history of the Port City 150, this started as a super modified, modified doubleheader. And in 1976... We were we were getting set for a really competitive year at the Speedway. We had come off a year in 1975 that I think, oh gosh, we had, um, I think it was eight or nine different feature winners, and, and 76 was destined to be the same. Um, I want to go ahead and read through this program, and we're going to sort of follow the story of this Port City race because this all didn't happen the way it was supposed to. Let's put it like that. Um, It was a long one and lots of things going on. 
And what I realized when I started to go through this program earlier is that um, there's actually this this year was somewhat of a significant year. There were a few things that that were going on that that um, were different. And it's apparent right on page one of the book. Now, again, remember, this is the Port City race. So we, as of the time of this program, okay, I don't believe that we'd want, we had run a race yet in uh, 76 at Oswego, okay? This was opening day. So uh, the first the first page of the program. Welcome to Supers of 76. Gosh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Man. Um, now, I'm not going to read this whole thing. Um, well, yeah, maybe I will, because actually this highlights some of the changes. So here's what it says. As the nation celebrates the American Bicentennial and looks back on 200 years of history, the Supers of 76 here at the Oswego Speedway will be making history with a schedule of events far surpassing any other year in Oswego's 26-year lifespan. The 1976 schedule calls for 20 supermodified shows from opening day Port City to the closing twin mill for modifieds and Supers on Saturday, October 2nd. The major change in 1976 scheduling from 1975 is the Labor Day weekend package. The modified Sportsman 200 normally run in late September was constantly plagued with poor weather. So in spectacular fashion, the date was moved to Saturday, September 4th, the night before the International Classic. It now makes for a full weekend of racing and a complete program worth over $75,000 with $25,000 on the line and the modified $250,000 at the pay window for the 20th Annual International Classic. The Classic Weekend will now be ranked with the Pocono 500 and Watkins Glen Grand Prix as being one of the major racing events in the Northeastern United States. Now, that would be enough for me to say that uh, 76 was historical at the Speedway. But wait, there's more. What's new at the track in 1976? Another section of the back stretch grandstand was added during the offseason months. About 85% complete. The new grandstand will be ready by the July 3rd Grand Prix. A new guardrail now separates the main pit entrance. Those of you who see that uh, guardrail with the tires on the end of it, that's when they put it in, 1976. Uh, It was installed to prevent an out-of-control car from careening into the entrance and eventually into the pit area. The sign over the ticket turnstiles has been changed for the first time in four years. Jimmy Champagne was taken down to make room for the replica plywood cutout of the new track champion, Ronnie Wallace. Champagne's car will be kept in good condition, however, for 76 is another year. You want to guess who won the championship in 76? Yep, Jimmy Champagne. They put it right back up there. Um, During the course of the season, a new restroom and shower facility is scheduled to be constructed for the competitors. So this will enable drivers traveling long distance to change their uniforms and shower before leaving the speedway. Uh, Changes in car specs and racing procedures were few for 76 other than 
requiring mufflers. This was the first year mufflers were mandatory. 1976. Again, this is why I thought we would do this, because the more that I got talking about this, looking looking at this, I thought, man, there is some real conversation to be had out of a lot of this stuff. Um, So mufflers, mandatory for 1976. Um, says they're relatively inexpensive and attached to the end of exhaust headers, a maximum noise limit of 100 decibels measured from the grandstand has been arbitrarily set by speedway management. What this will essentially do is eliminate the harshness of the engine noises while not taking anything away from the show and causing very little, if any power reduction fans sitting under the steel roof drivers and mechanics should all benefit from the new requirement in a survey of other tracks that have gone to mufflers, mandatory mufflers, the results have been favorable. So there's that. Uh, what else happening with specs? All super modified cars must be equipped with a kill switch mounted somewhere on the steering wheel. This hopefully will eliminate the threat of a serious crash, a serious crash when a stuck throttle occurs. So, Let's just, I'm not even done yet. Let's, let's, let's do a little review here. So far, here's what we've learned about 1976. We moved the modified 200 to classic weekend. We got, we went up and scheduled the 20 super modified shows. We added a, a new section of backstretch grandstand. We added uh, a the the um, guardrail that separates the main pit road and for for driver safety we added kill switches we made mufflers mandatory for the fans um here's the next one no aluminum block engines will be allowed in 1976 Aluminum block engines, it says, are quite a degree more costly than the conventional cast iron blocks. They're not readily available since the only real reason for their use in supermodifies is engine weight reduction. They were deemed inflationary and have been banned. And in an attempt to regulate the caliber of individual allowed to compete in supermodified racing, all new drivers on their initial appearance at the Oswego Speedway will relinquish the regular warm-up period in lieu of a special session. Immediately following the regular period after this warm-up session, a determination will be made if the new competitor will be allowed to start in the preliminary events of the evening. Now, again, those are some significant <laughs> changes there in, in, in different uh, ways and aspects of the speedway and what racing was like there. There are pictures of the the guardrail and a picture of the new section of the back grandstand. But um, that's a lot of change, isn't it? So um, next few pages are just ads and uh, some specifics on the Port City 150. Then we get to Ivor the Driver Reports. I've said this before. My favorite part of any program at the Oswego Speedway Um this is a big one, uh, as in it's long, because we have, again, supers, and he also talks about modifieds a little bit. So here is what Ivor said in the program, previewing the 76 season and the Port City. 
with two super modified races already run so far this spring, one at Thompson and one at Fulton, the competition looks greater than ever for 1976. Here's a glimpse of what you'll be seeing today and in the weeks to come. Track champion Ronnie Wallace returns with a Roscoe Town Dick Rayner Championship Car 76. The only difference is a very unique aerodynamic nose cone. Does anybody remember that? Um, the only difference is, uh, yeah, I read that already. The new nose cone was debuted at Thompson last fall and since then has been copied by several other competitors. Wallace will also have at his disposal a Gremlin Modified which is the old Jimmy Champagne Coupe completely rebuilt. In the Rainer Garage sits a partially completed new Super, which will get some further work done on it if both of the other cars stay together. The Gremlin Modified, incidentally, does anybody remember? This was an old, as as he said, an old Jimmy Champagne Coupe. And I think it was the one, if I'm not mistaken, that, uh, what was it, Bud Schilling, I think, had it. Jimmy bought it from him, ran it a bit. Uh, for a while, and then um, and then Rainer in town bought it from Jimmy, and Ronnie raced it at the 75 Modified 200 and caught fire. They had, a, uh, I think, oil on the brake line or something, and it ended up catching fire in the pit area. Uh, he came in for a pit stop, and the car caught fire. It was scary to see. I was there. That was my first Modified 200. Um, so they rebuilt it as a Gremlin. I love the Gremlin bodies. They were so cool. The Gremlin cars were not much, but uh, <laughs> street cars. The AMC AMC didn't really, uh, they, they weren't, uh, they left a little to be desired, shall we say. The, the shape of it was cool. What was the other AMC? Was the, the Pacer? Oh, my gosh. The thing looked like it was straight out of the Jetsons. Um Okay, Jimmy Champagne is in the process of building a completely new and radically designed Supers. Jim says it will be ready in about a month. It features the complete drive line on the outside of the car with the cockpit being very narrow. Guess what car that was? In the modified ranks, Champagne is still teamed with the courtesy Chrysler Hemi Cuda crew. They have purchased a new modified from Chassis Dynamics of Connecticut and have retained the old car as well until the bugs are worked out of the new one. Both cars should be here today. Both are sporting Chevrolet engines for the first time. So uh, technically, I guess it was the Hemi Chevy for <laughs> um, for a little while uh, there toward the end. But uh, it be the the new new car that they uh, that they built had a Colt Dodge Colt body on it. Love that car, too. Um, they called it the Hemi Colt Hemi Colt. Captain Dates has built a brand new car. It looks the same as the old car, but has a few new goodies, in quotes. Kemp has sold his old car, 28, to Doug Sire, and Doug will be ready in about a month. Now, uh, we'll talk about, <laughs> remember that, because we're going to talk about that. See, again, as this Port City saga continues, um, Doug ended up not driving the car. By the time the super modified portion of the port city was about to be run, Doug was not in the car. Kemp also built Scott Wilson, a super modified frame, and Scott has got his new super modified ready to go. Matter of fact, both Wilson and Dates practice with their cars at the Delaware Speedway in London, Ontario. 
Freddie Graves will compete with a Bill Height four-wheel drive car on a regular basis. Height is supposed to leave the machine at Freddie's garage. When the 39's not ready for action, Freddie will compete with the 38 front-engine Roadster. He was supposed to sell it, but the deal never went through. Fred says he will not put another driver in the car. When he's running the 39, the 38 will just go up in the trailer. Does anybody remember what happened to the four-wheel drive cars at the end of that year? <laughs> Eddie Bellinger, Steve Joya, Warren Conium, John Spencer, and Norm Ackworth are all returning with the same rides they had in 1975. New paint jobs for the 9, the 07, and the Flying 5, however, and oh, God, did all three of them look gorgeous. Bicentennial-type paint jobs. That, boy, the Flying 5, that may, you know, we ought, to, we ought to start a post for what we think was the prettiest all-time supermodified. There ought to be some sort of a poll. Um, that could go on for days. Okay. Cause there've been tons, but the, the Bali five from 1972 or I think when McLaren, that was, yeah, that was the year McLaren drove it through, um, say 76, 77, all those stars and stripes, the bicentennial car, I think the Lindblad stood out above them all though that car was just gorgeous oh my gosh johnny logan will have a new george keenan 35 car but not for the first part of the season they'll return with the old car i don't know if they actually ever did bob stelder will have the former 93 roadster that he and his brother jimmy purchased late last season the number will be 99 and by the way thank you larry trinker for i can't believe i left the baby blue special out of out of uh, my 99 recollections the other day because I always loved that car. It just escaped my mind when I was going through again. I don't research them and write them down. I, it's just whatever's in my mind at the moment. Um, and um, so uh, that car was gorgeous. So, yeah, 76 was the year he ran that. Gary Reichert at 30 years of age is retired from racing, and ironically enough, filling his shoes will be veteran-modified driver Dutch Hogue. Uh, again, keeping in mind, this is the Turner Brothers number 78. Dutch will drive both the modified and the super out of the Turner Brothers stable. Many of you will recall Hogue's finest accomplishments in modified racing will be were behind the wheel of the Turner Brothers 18 coupe about 10 years ago. Um, incidentally, Dutch started that year and uh, it was cut short by surgery. I think a knee or a leg or something. Um, so he, he did get very far into the year, but, um, it was running pretty good with, uh, the 78 super until then. Don McLaren will still be aboard the Nelson Powell Lindblad car. Number one over the winter. Powell had another Lindblad car built, which is, was to be run on the USAC sprint car circuit. Anybody remember this story? The car was outlawed from by USAC and will be run as a super modified weekly here at Oswego will be car number two and Jim Cheney will be the driver Cheney will keep his car 19 which he purchased from John Casey late last season as a backup um, now that that uh, team indirectly is going to be part of a funny story that when when I go through the next program next week to in this this little 76 uh, port city recollection here i can tell you a funny story about it um actually two funny stories about uh this the because that team those cars played a part in um in, in that whole in the whole story that i'll tell 
But uh, yeah, uh, so team cars for them, and they, boy, they were beautiful. Remember those cars, purple, just again, gorgeous cars. My gosh, um, the twenty-one car owned by Jack Tobin will be handled this year by veteran Esmeralda star Dick Batchelder. Bat- Dick brings a wealth of racing knowledge with him, and the combination should prove one to watch. Joe Paino has built a new super and should be ready for today's opener. Armin Holly has purchased his own four-wheel drive car. It's a white car, number 14, and he plans on running a Swiggo regularly. I don't believe he did. Um, his former driver's former car owner, Skip Match... Skip, <laughs> slow down, Tom. Skip Matzik has the car three for sale. Dennis Lichty has purchased Todd Gibson's rear engine car, while his brother Brad will run the Mike Stone car 52 which actually was number 84 for Brad. Jim Thompson, Brian Herb, Mike Rizzo, Ron Madison, Den Wheeler, Gary Kelly, Sam Carista, Ron Graves, and Ed Bell are all returning with the same equipment as last year. Don Whalen has purchased Jim Wink's Super and completely rebuilt it. Remember that? The Candyman, Don Whalen, in the, oh, I guess it was the 08 Super because 05 was Eddie Bell. Uh, let's see, Bob and Ernie June to build a new super and Brian Osgood has come out of retirement to drive it. I love that when Brian drove that car for a little while, he didn't uh, finish the year in it though. I don't think Dave Snyder has purchased the 10 pins. Dave Snyder has purchased the 10 pins. I read that twice on purpose because obviously this was the beginning of history in super modifieds. He acquired Bentley Warren to drive it. The car will be numbered 77. Ben may have a ride at Indy and will be at Indy on May 15th. He will fly back to compete in Sunday's Port City race and qualify hopefully through the Concee. Again, as this saga plays out, Bentley is a big part of it. Uh, Nolan Swift and Bill Wright, meanwhile, work on still another brand new Super. This one, to be ready in about a week, will have independent front suspension. <clears throat> Gary Miles and Keith Barker have acquired a rear engine chassis for the new Miles Engineering Car 93. A local driver, Ron Banyas, will be driving. Gary Albritton, having moved up to USAC, sold the 75 car. The new car owners have acquired veteran sprint car driver Daryl Harrison to chauffeur it. Does anybody remember who the new car owners of the 75 were? It was Tim Richmond's dad. Tommy Leeson has built a new car, 97, um, has a new car owner and a new sponsor. Tom will also compete in the modified race with the old Snoopy Pino owned by Jim Mangan. I did not know that. I thought Tommy owned the modified himself, but I guess it was owned by the same guy who was the owner of Tom's old super. Uh, which would have been that 33 car that we talked about a a few weeks ago uh, that I think George Boss was driving in 1972. Three good drivers are looking for good rides. They are Jimmy Winks, Chuck Siprich, and Baldy Baker. Winks wants to build a car if he can find the time and money. Baldy says if he can't find a good ride, he'll stay home and run late models in Ohio. Uh, Rex Kinney will be behind the wheel of Herm Graf's car C15 for the 1976 season. Remember Rex Kinney's name. He'll come up again later in the program. Kenny Andrews says he'll make an occasional appearance at Oswego in 76. I don't. I remember the last time Kenny showed up, the car was unpainted. 
and if I remember right, it was the end of the year, and maybe it was 76. I don't know. It might, but I was thinking it was 75, but it might have been 76. But that was the last time. I think, Kenny, the last time. I, don't think it, I, don't, I do not believe the car had any paint on it. Uh, let's see. Kenny says his new engine business is taking up most of his time. Eddie Thompson, the late now, I'm not obviously reading that out of the program, but uh, Eddie passed away not too long ago. Uh, Eddie Thompson purchased the Hemihawk 69 car from Ed Close and has joined the supermodified ranks. The car has been reworked, brilliantly repainted in his car 91, and it did look pretty too. And thus began all that for Eddie Thompson Racing Supers. John Bush has purchased Doug Sire's new car of last year, which I believe Doug built himself and has rebuilt it over the winter months. Dan Denny has reworked his car 85 that was new at the end of last season. Rob Buckner and Ray Sand have rebuilt the 36 car in already. I don't think Ray Sand started the season in that car in 76. Maybe somebody can tell me, but I don't believe they did. Um, let's see. Jim Gray is building a rear engine car, but while he's trying to finish it up, he'll be looking for a ride. Ivor says, I probably left somebody or something out. I usually do, but this will give you an idea of what's happening in 1976. Then he talks about modifieds. You'll be seeing all the top names in central New York and New England modifieds this weekend at the Port City. And again, just just recalling these names. Jerry Cook, Maynard Troyer, Satch Worley, Richie Evans, the Bouchard brothers, Freddie DeSorrow, Bugsy Stevens, Eddie Flemke, George Kent, Jeff Bodine, Merv Treichler, Roger Treichler, Ron Martin, Graham Belia, Jim Winks, Chuck Siprich, Sonny Seaman, even though it says Seamson in the program, and a host of others. A complete entry list of modifieds as of Wednesday, May 12th is printed somewhere in this program. We'll get to that. Competitors expected to see double duty in both divisions. Didn't you love that? Don't we miss those days? Include Ron Wallace, Jimmy Champagne, Dutch Hogue, Don McLaren, Tommy Leeson, and Armand Holly. Now, do you remember the modified that Don McLaren was driving was another one of those gorgeous, brilliantly painted Nelson Powell cars, and it had the louvers in the back window. I remember that only because I'm looking at the picture, but it had the louvers in the back window. I don't know what kind of body that was considered to be. Um, I can't remember some of the body, the names. I, I remember the shapes. I just don't remember what they called them all. I think it might have been a, a, a Monza or something, but it was it was a really interesting body style. Um, Ronnie Wallace's Road to the Track Championship. At the 1975 Oswego Speedway Port City opener, veteran supermodified star Ronnie Wallace appeared for the first time at the track behind the wheel of the Dick Rain and Roscoe Town Car 76. The team was still experimenting and trying different setups, looking for that right combination to put Wallace and the 76 right up front. Brake problems plagued them in the 75 lapper, and Wallace was forced to pit to make adjustments. He still managed to come off with a 12th place finish after running pretty well in the early going. However, they were satisfied with the car's performance and were off and running toward the Oswego Championship. And again, I'm reading a recap that was in the program, uh, Port City program of 1976, that kind of recapped each week, week by week of the 75 season. This was really well done, by the way. This, I think the way that they, whoever wrote this, did a, a really nice job of breaking it down. So here we go. Second week. 
Wallace notched his best finish in years, taking a well-earned third place behind Champagne and Logan in the 45-lapper. Rahm moved to fourth in the standings with 100 points. Champagne led the, ra- the point race with 200, followed by Dates with 152 and McLaren with 125. Things were looking good for the 76 team, and their confidence is growing. Week three, a bit of a disappointing night for Wallace at the double point 75 lap spring championship. A few more problems came up for them. They were forced to settle for a 15th place. He fell all the way down to 11th in the point race, having 120 markers to his name. Logan, by the way, won the championship, uh, narrowly edging Spencer in a thriller. I remember that race, too. Um, Week four. The 76, with Wallace's guidance, had worked their way up to a fourth-place finish in the feature when a rainstorm brought the action to a stop. Champagne, Bellinger, and Albritton were running ahead of Wallace at the time of the rain and the cancellation. The car looks to be back on the right track, and Wallace and crew are happy. Week 5, in the rescheduled feature, the remaining 26 laps were run off. With Wallace claiming a tight fourth-place finish, Bellinger got the win over Champagne and Albritton. Champagne, the current points leader with 370. Wallace is now ninth with 254. Week 6, the first night of the Twin 30s presentation. In both 30-lap mains, Ronnie brought the car home in fourth spot. Wallace is looking mighty consistent with the car, and his presence is really beginning to be felt. Champagne took both wins that night, looking real strong. Point standings as of after week six, Champagne 570, Dates 441, Spencer 405, and Wallace 388. So at this point, Ronnie Wallace is almost 200 points out of the lead. Week seven, Eagles fan club trophy night at Oswego and Graves passed Champagne on the last lap to win the feature. I couldn't believe that that was one of those you don't beat jimmy champagne in traffic very often and freddie did it that night it was it was really um that boy back in those days how many times do i have to say the racing was fierce uh wallace wasn't too far off the pace running third with a flat when a flat tire slipped him to fifth at the checkers Champagne still leads with 655, but Wallace is now in second with 448. He's still almost 200 points out of first after seven weeks of the year. Week number eight, history at the Speedway. This night will probably be the night Ronnie Wallace will remember for as long as he lives. Why did you even print the word probably? (laughs) On the last lap, he brought the super modified fans to their feet, cheering wildly, including my father, who never got that emotional at a racetrack. But him and Ronnie were friends, jumping up and down in the grandstand next to me. Uh, on the last lap, he brought the super modified fans to their feet, cheering wildly by passing Champagne on the final corner of the last lap to win by three feet. It was Ronnie's first ever Oswego super modified victory, and one of his milestones was finally achieved. Also sharing the spotlight, and this is one of those nights when, you know, gosh, if Jimmy had won, we'd be talking more about what I'm about to mention than Jimmy winning. But because Ronnie won, I think this next accomplishment gets overshadowed and it shouldn't. Charging Chuck Siprich brought the Graf Car 15 home third right behind Wallace and Champagne. 
that was, you know, there, there are great moments that just don't get the respect or the attention that they probably deserve in our sport. And that one deserved its own story. The story of Herm Graf and the, the, the C-15 didn't one of his cars, wasn't one of his, wasn't it the Otisco bomb? Wasn't he the Otisco bomb or was it somebody else that I'm thinking of? But Hermie, how long had he had cars there? And Chuck Siprich, I think started in 73 in the Dummigan number 90, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so he'd been running for just a couple of years and he takes a car that's never been anywhere near the top five, except maybe in a Concy. And finishes third with it. You want to talk about a story. That was as big a story as Ronnie winning. Um, and uh, and I'm not, again, not a soapbox, but it's just the timing. You know, I, if, if any other night, if Chuck finishes third, that's mega news, you know. But it gets overshadowed because here's Ronnie Wallace, who's been racing there, it, it felt like, since the Speedway opened, you know. All those years and never could get the victory lane. He's been in some of the best cars at the track. Just couldn't get it done. And finally, 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 he gets it done and wins the race in the most dramatic of fashion. And here's Chuck doing what he did with a 15, a clear, uh, I mean, way beyond, you know, exceeding the car's capabilities. Right. And, um, and, and, and it, you know, again, people forget about it. It becomes a footnote because, you know, <laughs> Ronnie won. Uh, so there were two winners that night in my book. Um, here were the points. Champagne 740, Wallace 548. So he's, he's, he's still quite a ways behind. Week nine. The annual Grand Prix 100 championship and the race went to Champagne after a torrid battle with Wallace. So now we're, we've established the rivalry, right? I think week eight, week nine set the tone. These were the two guys. Yes, we're going to talk about other guys, winning other guys, you know, doing well. But you started to see it warming up here. Uh, Ronnie had the lead on several occasions, but Champagne was long gone at the finish. Wallace encountered tire problems over the last 25 laps, fell off the pace, but still held on for second. A big pile up on the first lap sent several top runners to the pit area with heavy damage. Both uh, Champagne and Wallace somehow missed the pileup without inflicting any damage to their cars. Champagne, 940 points. Ronnie Wallace, 718. So now he's 222 points out of the lead after week nine of the season. Week 10, a real good competitive night of racing without any serious accidents. A fast-closing Wallace was unable to catch a strong-running Jimmy Gray as Jimmy recorded his first feature win. At the Speedway, another new winner. Wallace finished second. Champagne, third. Champagne, 10-15. Wallace, 8-03. Still over 200 points out. Week 11, it's the 50-lap Budweiser night at the Swiggle. Kempton Dates charges home with his first feature win. Champagne pressured him all the way for second. Gary Albritton was third, just steps ahead of Wallace, who finished fourth. A good, tough field with plenty of action. Champagne 1,100, Wallace 870. The points now 230 points separating Champagne and Wallace after 11 races of the season. Twelfth week, another round with twin 30s. 
in the first race. Dates wins again. Champagne finishes second, Albritton third, Graves fourth, Gray fifth, and Wallace finishes sixth. The second 30, it was Albritton getting the win, Warren Conium finishing in second. And again, stay with me because as the saga continues about the Port City, we'll see what, what you know, uh, Conium's going to be featured in that in future shows too, but he was in the 04. Finished second in the second 30 lapper in 75. Wallace finished third. Bellinger fourth. In the early going, Champagne tangled with another car, hit the wall hard, and was out for the night. Uh oh. Points now Champagne 1190. Wallace 1000. We're down under 200 points now after week 12 because Jimmy got caught up in a wreck. Week 13. The annual Midsummer Championship 75. Guess who won? Ronnie Wallace. Ron worked his way through the field flawlessly and took the lead and ran consistently to the end. Albritton second. Joy a third. Conium fourth. Dates fifth. Champagne was running fifth on lap 40 when he was black flagged because his nose cone was coming loose and he had to pit. He lost two laps, finished 11th. I remember him coming back out. And uh, I don't know if it was Jack or Roy. Somebody said he is now the fastest car on the track, but he was two laps down. So Ronnie is really putting the pressure on now. Champagne, 1,250 points. Wallace, 1,200. It's down to 50. After week 13, here we go. Week 14, the 45-lap feature event went to, drum roll, Steve Joya. His first ever win in Oswego with Wallace and Albritton following. Champagne was involved in a mix-up. Early in the race, had to restart at the rear of the field. Ended up sixth. Champagne, 13.05. Wallace, 12.85. We're down to 20 points. 15th week of the season. It was Joy again to the finish line first after a thrilling battle with Macrath and Graves. Macrath, incidentally, was in the Limblad car by them. Great and the Flying Five Limblad car. Graves finishing third. Wallace took fourth, followed by Dates Gray, and in seventh, Jimmy Champagne. Now, due to Ronnie's better performance, the point race, I'm reading this out of the book, has shaped up to be the best and most exciting ever at Oswego. Champagne, 13.55. Ronnie Wallace, 13.52. We're down to three points. In a matter of a month, Wallace closed well over 200 points. Who boy. Week 16, more exciting racing with Conium charging home the winner in a heated duel with both high point men. Wallace second, Champagne third. That's enough that for the first time in Ron's Oswego racing career, he's leading the point race. It is Wallace 14 37 champagne 1430 ronnie is seven points up classic weekend i don't think classic was a points race then didn't turn out to be a good weekend for ronnie he tangled with another car in the world it's got some damage time 17th fastest in the race he charged all the way up to third place gotten another crash that pretty much destroyed the car 
The accident occurred on lap 105, gave him a uh, disappointing 27th place finish. However, more importantly, the 76 career had two weeks to get the car rebuilt in order to take a run at the championship. The odds were against them, but lap 18. Both Wallace and Champagne looked good in warm-ups in the heat. It seems the 76 is running better than ever. You have never known the car was totally destroyed just 13 days prior. Remarkable job by the talented crew. It was fall championship night. The long and demanding 75 laps of racing would finally decide the outcome of the 1975 point race. I remember this very clearly. It was cold. The heaters and the grandstands. Remember those? Some of you probably don't. They used to have heaters on the roof of the grandstand. They were on that night, let me tell you. There was a lot of hot chocolate and coffee being consumed from the concession. It was cold. Don McLaren brought home his number one in first. Nolan Swift led a bunch of that race. And Don passed him in traffic to take the lead. Swifty uh, fell back and I think was fourth at the end of it. Wallace took a consistent. Oh, Conium finished second, by the way. Wallace took a consistent, smooth, and cautious third-place finish. Champagne, in his true driving spirit, gave it all he had to catch him, but fell short with a sixth-place finish. In order for Champagne to win the point race, he would have had to have beaten Wallace. It was not to be. Wallace looked mighty impressive, and it was to be his night. His third-place finish enabled him to conquer his second goal, winning the Oswego Speedway 1975 Track Championship. Ron Wallace's road to the championship had finally come to an end. He had captured a lifelong dream of literally hundreds of race car drivers all over the country. He had done it after 20 years of racing at the speed plant. Wallace was sitting on top of the heap. It was a great feeling for this deserving veteran, and something he and his thousands of fans will never forget. Scoreboard flashed for the last time in 1975. Wallace 1587, Champagne 1540. 47 points separating two of the best drivers to ever sit in a super modified at the Oswego Speedway. Now, we we need to remind ourselves, too, that that tra- championship only happened after Ronnie Wallace was talked out of retirement by Roscoe Town and Dick Rayner prior to that season. He went to Thompson with the car in the spring reluctantly. Said he would try it, went up, finished, I don't know, somewhere in the top 10, saw the potential in it, and decided to take a run at it, and he got it. Unbelievable. I or Let me back up. It was, yeah, from 74 into 75 is what I meant to say. He had retired at, at the end of 74, and I can see why. Because, look at the last two years of Ronnie's, the previous two years of his career. Let's look at 73. He starts out the season in the 10 pins after Nolan retires yet again. After, I don't even know how many races, um, you know, Ronnie had some seconds. He had some top fives, just couldn't get the car in victory lane. You know, Nolan, Nolan always thought he could do it better. Nolan came back and uh, Ronnie had to find a ride. You know where he ended up? The older 10 pins, which was the flying five of the day. So he shuffled over there, had decent success with Bollies, not necessarily the best. Uh, so from there, 
in 74, he starts out running the Shamrock 13 for Roy Murphy. Not a really a beautiful car, but not very good. Um, the Ford motor didn't work well. Whatever it was, I'm not really sure all of it, but um, it wasn't a very potent car. Uh, had some, I don't know, top 15s, maybe stuck into the top 10 a little bit. But then ended up in Steve Miller's 16. And again, that car had such a history of drivers, okay? But, you know, motor again. Steve didn't couldn't afford the big motor, big horsepower. Car handled well. Ronnie had uh, some good runs with it. But, you know, it was frustrating, I'm sure, for him, especially after tasting uh, an elite car like the 10 pins and then, you know, having that happen. So I think I could kind of see where Ronnie might have just decided after all those years he couldn't, you know, couldn't win. It just had to be, you know, there's a point where you just go, you know what? Okay, maybe I'm done. And then, you know, you get that call from Roscoe Town or Dick Rayner and, uh, the rest is history. So that's, that's why racing is the most amazing sport on the planet, honestly. Um, uh, okay. So next page, a few of the top modified entrants were back to 76, by the way. Um, picture of Maynard Troyer, picture of George Kent, Sonny Seaman, Jeff Bogan, Johnny Michaels, and Richie Evans. I could spend days, uh, focusing on them, but we won't. Here's an article in the, uh, program. Uh, Gotta Make a Living, He's a Louisiana Man by uh, all about Skip Manning. Remember, Skip ran into Swiggo for a year or two um, and uh, went on to compete in the NASCAR Winston Cup Series. Um, So there's an article there. Centerfold is uh, a beautiful four-picture, full-color spread. Uh, Freddie Graves in the... Height 39 racing with Jimmy Champagne. Um, a picture on the the bottom left of, uh, let's see, we got Ron Wallace, Bob Stelter. And again, this is all from 75. Ron Wallace, Bob Stelter, Warren Conium. Kept the dates. Gosh, who is that? Is a rear engine car. Uh, I think this must have been classic because... Well, I don't see any side tanks. Um, gosh, I don't know who this rear engine car is. It kind of looks like Ed Crombie, but I thought Ed only came for the classic. But anyway, uh, so some, so there's one, there's a car, rear engine car in there. Um, and then on the right side of the spread, the right half is um, a pair of modified shots. Ronnie Wallace in that beautiful gold coupe 76 I was talking about earlier. Um, racing with, who is that? Uh, Ron Bouchard in the 17. And then on the bottom, it's Maynard Troyer and Richie Evans, two legends. Let's see. Jim Fruito's racing review. And again, this is referencing the early part of 76. Here we go again, starting another new year of racing at the Indianapolis of the East. Why doesn't Oswego still use that? They should. The Oswego Speedway, the 1975 season proved to be the most exciting year ever at Oswego. And there's no reason why. 76 shouldn't be just as exciting. In fact, from all reports in so far, this year might be even more competitive than last year. So start anticipating some mighty great supermodified racing. By the way, um, Jim will shoot me for saying this because he's way too humble. But um, I would put Jim Ferlito up there with um, a lot of the people who helped build Oswego 
from a media perspective. Jim worked on the Eagle for a number of years, and this is his column that he wrote. Um, but, uh, man, he was a car owner. I mean, he just and he knows everybody. <laughs> Jim has done so much for racing in uh, New York State over the years um, and still is, by the way. The old-timers reunion's back this year. Can't wait. I'm really going to try to get up there for that. Um, the supermodified race at Fulton Speedway last Saturday night brought out some mighty fine looking machines, many with extremely attractive paint jobs. No kidding. Um, the circuit gets more professional with each passing year running stronger than ever and taking the 100 lap feature go with relative ease was new England star Bentley Warren. It was Ben's first supermodified debut in the central New York area since returning from the USAC ranks. That means Indy folks, by the way, back then Indy car was sanctioned by USAC. Um, Warren at the wheel of the Dave Snyder Special Car 77 looks like he'll be one to contend with this season around the circuit. Uh, defending track champion Ronnie Wallace was second with the 76. Steve Joya was third. Fourth was nailed down by Denny Wheeler in the Powers Tire, Tire Special Car 96. Fifth spot going to Eddie Bellinger in the 02. Uh for the record books, second through fifth of this feature run were captured by a Swiggle or Fulton residence. Interesting. Top flight promoter Glenn Donnelly would be promoting both Rolling Wheels and Weed Sport Speedways this year. Um, I won't finish reading that just because, I mean, we're uh, not that I don't want to focus on dirt, but uh, here's a tidbit at the end of it. Um, Fonda's feature winner circle was entered by Jimmy Winks last Saturday night. Let's see. Uh... Eagles fan club article just kind of talking about uh, the officers of the club. So I won't go through that. But uh, the Eagles, another group that uh, has been all volunteer and has done so much for Oswego Supermodified Racing over the years. There's a huge spotlight in this program on uh, Tewksbury Auto Parts, spotlight on a sponsor. This is, by the way, this is... A feature, a feature, a type of feature that should be in every program um, and should have been kept going throughout the years in the program, I think. Um, and now that there is no program, there should be some sort of um, dedicated sponsor spotlight, uh, you know, pr produced somehow uh, on a weekly basis at every track, not just the Swiggo. This one's about Tewksbury Auto Parts at Bowie. Uh, and let's see. Um, it uh, basically talks about his business. There's a great shot of, of an aerial view of Tewksbury Auto Parts and Tewksbury Metals. It's a great shot of his shredder, uh, a shot of his twin engine Cessna plane that he had, um, and a shot of the offices. Um, I won't get into the whole story, but I will read the last part of it. Um, it, it this is about uh, six paragraphs in after it talks in detail about the business. It says, due to the great involvement of his business, Ed is often brought out of town to record business deals. His travels have taken him all across the country. And within the last few years, he's been shipping much of his scrap metal to Europe. How about that? Uh, for his out-of-town business meetings, Bali has at his disposal his own airplane. It's a twin-engine Cessna business liner, which will easily seat eight people. He has found this to be a great convenience for himself and his family, not only for business, but for when they are running late to get to Oswego for the races. 
As Ed's son, Tommy, leaves for his swig of the race car on Friday night, Ed often leaves Tewksbury at noon on Saturday, arrives in Fulton, New York. I guess that's where he would land the plane. Tommy, by the way, is a college student, and when out studying, can be found giving service to his dad at the business or taking care of the race car. The airplane has come in very handy for Ed and his racing crew, as well as his driver, Norm Macrath, for those out-of-town races where a great deal of travel is involved. Ed and his charming wife, Greta, also have one daughter, Susan, who is also attending college. Ed's family has been always has always been behind him 100% in both the business and the race car end of it. Together, it has worked well for Ed Bowley. The fantastic success of the Tewksbury Auto Parts has, uh, business has brought us the Bowleys and their Super modified car flying five to a swigger. We are most proud to have them as part of our fraternity and wish them the continued success, not only here in the swigger with the race car, but back at home with the business. Um, let's see. What else is in here? Is an article on Satch Worley, modified racer. I won't uh, read that for you, but uh, he, um, he was from Rocky Mount, Virginia, and Satch... Ran into Satch. This has been a good while now, probably, maybe 10 years ago. Um, I was somewhere at a track in Virginia, and Satch was running a, I think, a 305 sprint car. He was still racing. Um, just a super, super nice guy. Uh, the minute I mentioned the Swiggo Speedway, his eyes lit up, and he he remembered running there, winning there. Um, Satch loved uh, the Oswego Speedway while he was racing modifieds and able to compete there. Okay. Bentley Warren wins the Fulton 100. That's the sort of high, uh, the headline of the page. This is a pictorial. There is a picture of um, Kemp Dates running. Uh, it says Kemp in his new car, 28, tries to catch the likes of Ron Graves and Den Lichty. Kemp's new car looks very similar to the old machine. And, it, and uh, it's Graves, Lichty, and Dates in the picture. Dan Denny's put a lot of work into his 85 car over the winter, and it should have shown it. it was a very short wheelbase. Again, it was blue. Nice-looking car, Eddie Thompson. Picture of him with uh, the new 91. The old close 69. John Bush's new super modified. It was black. Former Doug Sire machine. Uh, that was the one Doug hit the pit entrance with and uh, hurt his back quite a bit. Uh, had actually, um, I think he had some internal bleeding and such. He was, that's why he didn't finish 75. And I, I have a feeling that's why he bought the dates car for 76, uh, but he didn't drive it. We'll, we'll, and, and again, we'll pick up on that story as we continue on uh, next next show with the rest of the Port City story. Armin Holly's new four-wheel drive super is pictured here. It used to be owned by Tony Lovati. There we go. Okay. Um, let's see. Dick Batchelor in the 21 is is uh, pictured here. Dennis Lichty again, this time with, uh, who is it? Denny, looks like Denny Wheeler next to him. Can't quite tell, but it looks like Denny's car. And a picture of Joya and Bellinger racing next to each other. And then we end the program with uh, another set of pictures. Um, This time, uh, again, all from Fulton, I believe. Uh, What do we got here? Three abreast action earlier in the evening with Winged Warriors Steve Joya, Warren Conium, and Ronnie Wallace. 
Uh, next to that is a picture of two Imblad chassis. Wheeler and Macrath loved both of those cars. Gary Kelly is pictured here blowing a motor in the four car. Uh, they had so much bad luck over the years, didn't they? Uh, fighting for third place early in the feature, Don McLaren in the one, the 11 of Brian Herb and the eight of Jimmy Champagne. The only serious accident occurred on the 49th lap when Don McLaren spun his car in front of Brian Herb. The two of them got together uh, and also took Bob Seelman with them. Bobby was there with his sprint car. Uh, This is a seemingly close finish for second place at Fulton, except for one thing. Jimmy Champagne is a lap down due to a spin earlier in the race. But again, Wallace on the outside, Champagne on the inside looks exactly like the finish of the first race Wallace won the year before. Um, And a picture of Bentley uh, with a Fulton Raceway jacket that he got for winning. Um, And uh, who is that? Cliff Kateri, the former Fulton starter. Now, what's interesting about this is in this picture in 76, the the, uh, car is still in full 10 pins livery. And still has the wing and still has the cage that Swift had on the car. And again, (laughs) because now that was part one of our review of the Port City 150. And you say, well, we didn't talk much about the Port City 150. Well, because this was the program to preview it. Okay, this we got another week or two with that. Okay, (laughs) because this one took a while. And there were a few really funny stories involved, one personal for me and one that involved me, but involved a lot of other people, too. So we'll continue um, with our review. But there's your preview kind of of the Port City 150, and um, we'll continue that next week. Now, um, we have one more segment to get to here, and that is what's in a number? So for those of you who may, because we've been almost an hour in this segment, if you need to get up, stretch, you know, uh, go to the bathroom, whatever, get a drink. I'm going to stop talking for a second here so you can hit pause and then just we'll pick it up on the other side. Are you ready? Here we go. Okay, we're back and we are now going to talk about... uh, What's in the number? And we are 01 is where we are here. Now, the 01, and again, I will make the point, I start basically in the 70s. Sometimes I know of a number that goes back to the 60s, and I'll talk about it. But for me, life life started, life literally didn't start till 67. I didn't start going till 73. But, you know, I can, I can hang in a lot of ways with 70, 71, 72. Don't have much memory of the 60s unless it was something special. So um, you guys can fill in the blanks. Here's what I think I remember, and that is that at some point, and maybe, oh, I guess this would go back. Yes, yes. Now that I think about this a minute, um, I don't know how long he had been racing by then, but I think uh, my my thought would be uh, Jack Greedy it would be the first 01. I'm pretty sure he was the 01. Um, and wasn't it him that Bentley in 69 had the big wreck with? Wasn't it those two when Bentley uh, went to the hospital? 
This was after he had won the classic. It was a week or two later or whatever. I think it was him and Jack Greedy. I think Jack was 01. I think. If not, I'm going to be real embarrassed, but I think he was 01. Um, and uh, the two of them piled it in the fence. And uh, Bentley, I think, one that, one that that wreck where Bentley was in the ambulance going to the hospital and, and you know, he said, I, I, I got to get back and win the classic. <laughs> Already checked off the bucket list, Ben. Just uh, lay down and and uh, you know hang out. Your 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 heads uh, your eggs are scrambled here. Um, let's see. So Jack Reedy, uh, Brian Herb was one uh, when he first started driving. I think wasn't he? Because that wasn't that the number at the time of uh, they had uh, uh, the Hagen Howard cars. There were two of them. Um, Jim Gray had the 31 at the time, which was, I believe, I always get the lineage of these cars scrambled because there was so much for all, for both of them. But I think that was the old, I think it was an old Gibson car, which became the 40 with a hot pink wheels for Norm Macrath, which became the 58 for Mark Letcher in 73. Then it was the 31 of Jim Gray. So I'm going to say that had to be 74. Uh, and so, but I think, no, that can't be right, can it? Because Brian didn't run that. Was it 74? Why do I think? Oh, he was a teammate to Macrath, I think. Yes, I think Norm and Brian were the teammates. So it would have been 72 that Brian ran. And I'm pretty sure that was 01. And then... Uh, somewhere around 74, I think is when, or maybe 73, I, I don't remember, but somewhere in 73, 74 in that area, maybe even 75, I don't know. Uh, Rex Kenny, remember I mentioned his name when I was talking about how he was going to drive for Herm Graf in 76 in the 15 car. Well, um, he had, uh, given up on his own car one, which I think somebody said not long ago, he still has. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, let's restore it. Get it back out, man. That was a cool looking car. Um, uh, but Rex uh, built that, I think, himself. And um, so he ran that for a year or two, a year or two. And uh, who would be next? 01, 01 in the 70s. Who would be 01? Um. Boy, I feel like I'm going to miss one or two because we were getting so many cars for the classic that year. Um, those years, I I almost want to say Ollie Silva might have run his 01 a few times, but his car was always the zero. Uh, 01. 01 in the 70s. I, I know that there's going to be an 01 that somebody's going to remember from the seventies and I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to hate that. I can't put it together, but at this present moment, I can't think of, uh, think of another Oh one all the way up until we get to 1980. And in 1980, Doug Havron, uh, and Prod built the first, Hevron offset, the one 
that was became the legendary Hevron offset that um, the first of the two cars of that era for Doug that were well, probably built offset cars. It was basically almost a carbon copy of Jimmy Champagne's car. Um, the backup car, which was the old Champagne wedge car, became the 01 and Freddie Graves drove the car, uh, ran it. I don't know, a handful of times. Uh, I think uh, Sandusky, maybe. The Swiggle Classic. I don't know if they went to star with it or whatever, but late in the season, Freddie got in it, and uh, he raced it. Um, then that same car for 82 was sold to Tom Holly bought that car and I don't think that he ran it for uh very long but he ran it a few times he was an older gentleman and I'm not sure if he'd ever raced anything before I'm I'm trying to remember I don't really know too much about him or I don't know if I ever did but uh he had the car and then sold it to Dave Lauks. Now, the I told you this number was sneaky and it had a few twists and turns. So that car was the 01 right up till the time Lauks bought it. And then it became, I think, 08 for Dave because we had another new LaProd offset car for Hevron in 82. And... Uh, that became the 01, and that was the year. It didn't run on a weekly basis, obviously, because Doug was still driving the other car. He liked the other car better. Um, so that served as the backup, which he used. I know he won at least one race with it that year, and... But here's the thing. There were two drivers, very famous drivers, who ran it and won a heat race with the car and never ran it in a feature. Do you remember who they were? Jimmy Champagne and Maynard Troyer. At least I don't think Maynard ran the feature with it. I don't recall that he did because I think Doug needed it that night to run in the Concy. Um, now, Jimmy took the car out, spanked everybody in the heat race, won by a country mile, and then went back to his 89. That was an 82, his final year competition, obviously. He he was driving for Clyde Booth. They had all kinds of issues with that car all year long. Um, you know, he'd be great one week, not so good the next. Took Doug's car out, made mincemeat of everything else on the track, and then went back to his car. Um, and the the... The the night that, uh, oh, by the way, I need to go back a step because now that I think about it, that was the second time Jimmy drove a car with Heveron livery because he drove his own former wedge car in 70, what year? 70, well, it would have been 70, no, it would have been 19, no, hang on. Uh, gosh, what year would it have been? Because um, maybe it was 1980. Yeah, it would have been 1980 because uh, Doug had the new offset. Jimmy 
Jimmy drove that car in the, it would have been either Port City or one of the other double headers, I think. I think, not positive. But um, Nikki finished like seventh or eighth with it, ran the Concy. Um, so something must have happened to his car in the heat. Maybe that was that. Maybe the the night that he had the rollover. I think it was. That's what happened. He had the one night, and I think that might have been 1980. He had the little rollover with it uh, in the heat race, and ended up getting into the the old old faithful wedge car that was that Avron had as the backup, and uh, went out and. I don't think he won the concy with it. I don't recall them that, that that he won the concy, but he ended up finishing like seventh or eighth in the feature, gave it a nice run. So now we fast forward back to eighty two and he's getting in the Haveron car again, except this time it's the newer of the two LaProd offsets and just whacks the field. Goes back to the eighty nine. Now there was also a doubleheader night when Maynard Troyer got in the car. I think he went out one a heat. Um and and I think that was the night that Doug ended up needing it because I don't know if something happened, something, either an engine or maybe a crash or something. And um, so I'm pretty sure that I don't think Maynard started the feature in it. Boy, wouldn't that have been something to see what old Maynard Troyer would have done in that car. Um, so again, a little twisted turn. But So that was 01. Laux had bought the wedge car that Holly had run still maintained the 01 number on it. Laux made it 08. Um so then of course in 19 so then Bentley drove the 01 in the classic uh in 82. Um I don't think he did so well. He was in the top 10 somewhere, but I don't think he was really a contender. Um and of course, that was the, you know, that race was, we all know, September 4th, 1982, modified 200. We all know what happened there. Um, there will be that point. It will, we'll talk about it again because guess what this year is? 2022, 40 years. This is the 40th anniversary. So we'll talk about that later in the season. But for right now, uh, Bentley ran the car, finished. I don't know, maybe eighth or ninth, somewhere in there, seventh, eighth. Um, 1983, Doug goes Indy. Bentley comes, he he broke his leg in a crash. Bentley started the year in the older offset car, number one. Then Doug comes back, and again, 1983, this was almost sort of a... Ron Wallace improbable scenario. Bentley starts the year in Doug's car. And I think by then we were running at least one or two races before the, the port city. So I don't think Bentley started till the port city. And I, the reason I say that is because I think he actually might've started the week after, because I think in the port city, I think, and again, I could be wrong, but I think the only Heveron car he drove was the modified. Um, didn't do so well in that got in the super, uh, and started, I think, you know, it was kind of fourth, fourth, you know, whatever it was fourth, second, fourth. It took him a couple weeks to win when he finally started winning. He started winning. 
And here comes Hevron back later in the season. So then Bentley goes to the newer car of the two. Guess what the number is? 01. And what happens? Goes out and wins the championship. Uh, Eddie Bellinger won the classic. We all remember that. But um, Bentley won the track championship that year, starting the season at least a week or two late and using two different Hevron cars to do it. So there's the 01 again. Uh, let's see. After, after that, the two Hevron cars get, get well. The, the one, the main car, the older car that Dougie liked, gets sold at Bali for 1984. Guess who drives it? Bentley. Okay, we see... Do you, do you see how I read this program and here Bentley comes back in 1976 with Dave Snyder? Do you see how history changed? I was I was telling somebody the other day about how USAC used to ban people who um, who drove outside of their series. If you were in the top so many in points, I think, or something. Um, you weren't allowed to compete in non-USAC events. That was the dumbest rule in the history of man when it came to, to a sanctioning body. You couldn't compete outside of the... So So Bentley used to, when he didn't have a ride um, for USAC, he would go and race under an assumed name. Well, Bentley had a bad crash at Star Speedway. I think it was Star uh, in, in a car... What year would have been 74, maybe end of 74. Maybe it was in 75 and USAC bans him. That's why he came back to the supers and look at that change. I told, I was telling the, 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 the guy I was talking to about that the other night, I was saying that, um, what, what would have changed at the Oswego Speedway if USAC hadn't banned him? How much longer would he have maybe, you know, tried to hang, you know? Um, we'll never know because that's not how it played out. So, um, it, again, every action has a reaction. That one by USAC had a big one, uh, much to our benefit, right? Uh, we're super modified fans because that launched Bentley's whole second career. It, it, as a super modified racer, incredible. So, anyways, back to the O one. Um, there was a Joe Barry, I think, out of New England that owned a car that was O one, and I believe that probably there were, if if I thought about this long enough, and I know I'm not going to get all his drivers, but I think, gosh, um. I feel like maybe Larry Record might have been 01 a time or two with that that old car. This would have gone back to maybe the 70s, perhaps, late 70s. Um, so maybe toss him in there. I'm not positive, but it might have been the same uh, Dave. That Dave, uh, what is it, that old car that Ollie Silva used to drive? So it was Dave's Speedcat car, I think. Maybe was that the car? Um, Larry Record had a car anyway that I thought. Oh, no, he was 60. I'm not sure he was ever 01. He was 60, I think. Anyways, um, Joe Barry would have been, shoot, Russ Wood, I think. Isn't that where he kind of got famous, started to get famous, was in that Joe Barry car? Um, I know there were some others in that car. 
that ran at Oswego. Um, Dave Thomas, maybe, perhaps. Um, gosh, oh one. Um, so the 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 fly. <laughs> so here we go again. Follow this tree with me. So at Bali, before he bought the Hevron car for 1984, had a show car. It was five. It became the one as the backup car to the first Hevron car. And then when in the 80s, it ended up becoming the 01, I think. Was it 01 or, oh, oh no, I guess it was 03. Yeah, Buddy Deal raced it. I don't remember who owned it, but I don't think Buddy did. Um, somebody bought it. There was a, t- oh, that's what, that's who it was. Tom, um, Tom Gonzi had an 01, and I think that was one of the cars he had. Now, I don't know, I don't know if he was driving it at the time. Or sold it to somebody, still owned it or sold it. I don't think Buddy Deal owned the car when it became 03. But but I think I think Tom Gonzi had an 01, and I think that might have been one of the one of the ones he had. Again, I could be wrong about that. It's where I start losing detail, but gosh, who else? Um so the next 01 then that I would remember, other than the Joe Barry car and maybe Gonzi was Jeff West. Um, uh, I know I'm missing some Barry drivers too. I, you guys can fill in the blank. Maybe Bobby Fitzpatrick, did he first drive for Barry? Maybe. Anyways, I remember um, I the next one that I can think of off the top of my head would have been Jeff West. And Jeff ran, uh, that was his number for the entirety of the time he was at Oswego. He um, had a backup, which was numbered one. Um, Once he, you know, once he got to a two-car stable, and that was the car, the one car that Bentley Warren drove to the Classic win in 98. Um, So after Westy left, Oh boy, um, there were probably several in that time period because that's after I, when I that was around the time that I had uh, moved out of the area, and then you know from there it get it gets a little more fuzzy. Dick, ba- oh yes, Dick Batchelder. I'm almost sure that when Dick Batchelder drove the. Um, because I, I almost am positive that Dick Batchelder ran that show car flying five as the 01 a time or two. And again, I'm trying to remember, uh, you know, who would have owned it or whatever. I don't remember all of the, but I'm pretty sure that was an 01 when he drove it. I'm almost positive that he did drive it a bit at Oswego. He also had his own show car numbered 03, but I'm almost positive I remember him being in that backup five a time or two. After it, I think it had been, again, I think it had been sold. I think, I think it was 01 then. Um, but uh, Westy had, again, for years. And after that, I start losing track because I even, 
I was trying to think when Joe Barry's 01 was racing up there. That would have been before West EM. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, let's see. Uh, trying to fill in the gap between then and then up to um, up to uh, today. Um, and I, the early, like I said, I feel like there were some in the early 2000s that, um, that I'm just missing here. Um, but I, but I just can't, uh, I can't recall them. Um, and, and of course, um, uh, in, you know, in today's era, um, Daniel Connors, uh, has been, um, Yeah, Daniel Connors has been uh the the uh only one that I remember who I'm trying to think did he ever have I don't know that they ever had a um I don't know that they ever had a two car scenario, did they? Um I think I got most of it. Uh Yeah. Okay, so if you can think of uh, any of the other ones, feel free to fill in the blanks. But I think, um, I think that got at least most of it up to from back in the day. I think Chris Weaver was, uh, I think he was a uh, an one car um, back in the day. I think that was a Hedger. Pretty sure that was a Hedger chassis that Chris Weaver had. So. Um, I think there was a gap uh, in the, the use of that number. I think there was a gap from somewhere in the um, early 2000s uh, until uh, until Daniel Connors came along. I think that was uh, that would have been the next time that I remember an 01. So there you go. Um, you can have some fun with that and, uh, again, fill in the blanks and, in, and enjoy that. Cause that's, uh, it's always fun to, to go through that, but there were a lot of twisted turns with that number as far as, uh, back in the day with, uh, Maynard sneaking in to drive, uh, for a time and, and, uh, Bentley sneaking in to drive for a time and, um, so much going on that number with between Bentley's time in it. And then, you know, the times that Jimmy and Maynard stepped in, um, I think that number had some serious history behind it. And, and it's fun to, um, it's fun to recall that too, because, uh, it, uh, it brings back some, the, the time when, um, when, uh, guys would jump in other guys' cars and not think twice about it, you know? So, uh, but Danny Connors currently the, uh, uh, the, uh, number Oh one and, uh, still waiting for Daniel to make history. I want him to win a race so badly and it's not media bias. It's just because again, somebody that's raced for that long, tried that hard, worked so hard 
and has gotten so close so many times. You just want to see him, you know, get into victory lane. If we did it, we could do an entire show about drivers who so close never got there. Right. Um, I mean, the first two that come to mind, both Hawksby's. Remember the night Joe Sr. led most of the race and Westy passed him right at the end? And um, and then Joe Jr. had a race like that. I don't remember who beat him, but somebody passed him. Um, I think he led the first, like, 40 laps of a 45-lap race or something, and somebody passed him late in the going. Um, my gosh. But, again, there's 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 <laughs> you could we'd be here all night. So there's your 01. Um Glad I remember Danny Connors. It seems like I sometimes have trouble remembering people who are running a number right now. Sorry, Jack. Um, but uh, I think we got most of them. So uh, lots of fun there. And uh, again, folks, thanks for listening to these shows. This was a bit of a different uh, show. Again, like to mix it up. And I, th- I think the Port City theme will get to the heart of the story on the next show. Because, um, boy, that was a crazy deal. With the uh, 76 Port City, a lot of stuff going on there um, that will, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that will unpack. So uh, thanks to all of you for listening and thanks to all of our great sponsors. Uh, we have, uh, of course, Jeff West and the folks from IPC Indy. Great to see that they're coming back to a swiggle. Can't wait to see Bobby Santos race that car again. Uh, also, j Paving, Rich Worth. He is the Mozart of Macadam. Um, his, again, uh, you just, you gotta, if you need paving done, that's your guy right there. Just call him um, and uh, sign him up. And let's see, of course, this pub. <laughs> I want to forget Sean Cathcart. Uh, go uh, have fish at Skips and then go to Groff's and have a few, uh, have a few beverages and relax and enjoy yourself. So, um want to thank all of them and all of you and look forward to next week's show. We do have um, a driver who is scheduled for uh, two weeks from now. And I think next week the goal is going to be, if we can get him, I'd like to get Jody London because uh, we want to start. We want to talk about, I know it wasn't his series, the New York Superstock series, not his series, but um it is kind of the first of two warm-up acts for his Dave London Memorial Superstock race. So uh, we'll talk to Jody about that. And, of course, his uh, sportsman race, uh, uh, sport modified race that's uh, coming up on July 2nd. So we're going to try to get Jody for next week. Um, and then we do have a driver coming up the following week. And uh, we will try to get uh, – still going to try to get – uh, some of the winners, we'll, we'll try to catch up on those as we go. Want to get Trent Stevens on if we can, and, and um, we'll uh, see. Uh, I've never had, I don't know that I've ever had Dave Danzer on a show. I was thinking about that earlier, actually. Um, we'll, we'll see if we can try to get to Dave to get him on a show. If, uh, if anybody knows Dave, uh, a phone number for Dave, that would be good, because I don't think I have that. Um, so we'd like to do that as well, and uh, um We'll see if uh, Tyler will come on. Uh, he can be hard to catch up with sometimes. We'll see if we can do that. Uh, and uh, and Brandon Bellinger as well. If we can uh, get in touch with Brandon, we'll get him on. So we'll try and see if we can start getting caught up with our winners as well. So a lot of stuff. And, uh, again, we're going to, um, as my schedule relaxes here, hopefully uh, after the next couple of weeks I can 
maybe throw in an extra interview or two during the week. That's part of what we want to do is just do some bonus content through the year so we can use some of those interviews for that too. Um, anyways, we appreciate uh, the opportunity to come to you each week and talk about Oswego and Supers. And um, again, chill, people. Let's just uh, let's let's be thankful that we still have big block super modified racing to talk about, shall we? Um, it's going to be low car counts for a little while. It, that's just how it is, um, you know. And a lot of it right now, I think, is driven by again just you know uh, a variety of factors. So um, we just. You know, no sense beating a dead horse at this point. Let's be thankful for racing for super modifieds. And um, and again, get to the track if you can, please. Thanks, all of you, for listening. Please share if you feel led. And we'll talk to you next week for episode 102 on the inside groove. Do we any, we know anybody that's raced in 02? Well, we'll, we'll get to that next week. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliate, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.